Hello and welcome to One Week, One Year, live from... Well, not live. Don't do this to me. On location. Okay. In Topeka, Kansas. One Week, One Year, on location in Topeka, Kansas, reporting to you from the Kansas Silent Film Festival. Uh, it's our... It's it's our 1923 episode, and we went on the road to a film festival that happened Indeed. to be playing a bunch of 1923 movies. Too perfect not to do. Right at the right yeah. time. So we've got some tickets, and we're recording our first in-person episode. Indeed. Weird that this is our first in-person episode. Considering that we were, for a lot of the first ones, we were not too far away like, from each yeah, other. Yeah, like 40 minutes away. <laughs> yeah. No, not even. Like 20. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm Chris Ellie. I'm one of your hosts, uh, and joining me in person is... I'm Glenn Cobell, the other host. I'm a filmmaker, you are... A film projectionist. Uh, we just got from the airport, we went straight to the silent film festival, and... And I decided to dress up in 1920s clothing, because why not? <laughs> yeah, I was just distracted by my dinging iPad, but we, we won't have to think about that. It's it's a loose episode in a way, uh, but we're going to be watching tons of stuff from 1923, uh, and we started off. We don't we don't have news. We don't have news. We'll put the news in later. The news of the year 1923. At least eight are killed when the town of Rosewood, Florida, is attacked and burned to the ground by racist mob. In the Bronx, Yankee Stadium hosts its first game. Mount Etna erupts in Italy. Real estate developers put up an enormous sign advertising land for sale in Hollywoodland. Mexican revolutionary Pancho Villa is killed in a fiery ambush in Chihuahua. The newly established Irish Free State joins the League of Nations. Amid continuing unrest in Germany, Adolf Hitler leads a violent coup attempt against the Weimar Republic, which ends in his arrest for high treason. Inventor Garrett Morgan patents a new type of three-position traffic light. There was somebody who started talking at the beginning of this festival about the news that was happening in 1923. Yeah. And we were like, lady, you're stealing our bit. This is our thing. <laughs> <laughs> no one else talks about the news or what happened in a year. <laughs> so, uh, so Glenn, uh, what's up? What's going on? Uh, I'm here. I'm in here. person. That's fun. Yeah. That's been a while. Yeah. It's very weird that this is the first time we've actually recorded the show. Like in the same space, and like I always thought, like oh maybe our mics will cross bleed or whatever, and that'll be a problem. But also like and like it's easier to record on Zoom. But I don't know. Yeah. Also, it's probably easier to have a conversation in person. Yeah, for sure. Can interrupt each other a little better. Yeah. You know? So the festival uh, started mm -hmm. off with the movie The Covered Wagon mm -hmm. by James Cruz. Not a film I was super familiar with. <clears throat> I wasn't either. Um, I was familiar with it because it goes on sale a lot on the Kino oh, okay. website. Yeah. Uh, and so I got it from the Kino website uh, and have not uh, watched it until mm. now. But the, the second highest grossing film in America of 1923. Yeah. So significant. Yeah. And um, you can definitely see its influence in a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, it Yeah, it feels very... Um, not that I've seen any 1950s John Ford Westerns, right. but it feels like a 1950s John Ford Western. It has a lot of quintessential Western elements to yeah. it. To me, it felt a bit like uh, The Oregon Trail, the movie. 
Yeah. Which I guess is kind of backwards, because I feel like, if anything, the game, The Oregon Trail, is taking from this movie. And I never played that game. I kind of did. As a, It was mostly I watched my brothers play it, and mm-hmm. they would just try to kill everyone as quickly as possible. Right. Which is, I think, how most people play that game. As, as you do. But, like, the fording the river stuff, and, like, having to hunt and if gather. If there's a and, river, you gotta ford it. You gotta. So it reminded me of that. It did remind me a bit of some of the, like, earlier, shorter, I think, D.W. Griffith uh, westerns that we watched with, like, the love triangle plot and kind of the, yeah. the like, yeah. westward expansion backdrop. I mean, that's in a lot of westerns, but... Um, it definitely, you know, you have to turn off your brain a little bit. There were points where I, I was having to go during this movie... I need to not think about, like, the inherent horrors of yeah. of Manifest Destiny. Well, and, like, I, it's, ex, you know, it's weird because this movie kind of touches on those, but then, like, doesn't... Then it immediately glosses them over, It kind touches of? on it, but, yeah, right. But then it, like, it doesn't actually engage with it in any way. Right, and it, I even, during the movie, I was like, does this film, as, like, a story, even consider those things, like, evils, I guess? I don't think so. Not really, because it, it never really uh, paints, I feel like, the, the settlers as as destructive. Other than, right, we see the Native Americans be like, hey, these people are coming through and they're destroying everything. If we don't kill them, we will all die. But then... It, but, yeah, it's just lip service. Yeah. But it's it's still... On one hand, I was like, oh, this movie's like gonna like start like get into it. it's gonna start like reckoning with this stuff and i'm like no not not really at all the rest of the movie plays it pretty like black and white it's like no settlers are all good they're just trying to make a life nothing nothing wrong here there was nothing there before <laughs> yeah of course they're exploring you know settling this huge uh unsettled land that no one has lived in <laughs> I, I i i just recently i this is like i mean of course this is like you know, the correct frame to look at history. But I've been like, I just went to a history museum a couple days ago Mm. uh, that had like this really like horrifying exhibit on the Sand Creek Massacre where, um, where the the governor of Colorado was basically like, you know, after breaking treaty after treaty and telling all these, uh, you know, indigenous people like, oh, like here, stay in this little patch of, unfarmable land Mm -hmm. uh and then like right after that he goes like hey everybody uh go kill them and then uh and then they killed over 200 people they just like slaughtered them jesus so like this is like immediate in my mind watching this movie um but uh, i guess we should generally talk about what the movie is it's it's basically yeah like an oregon trail type thing yeah people trying to get to i guess the west coast Yes. and to, to make a life for themselves. And there's... it's The whole movie is basically, like, on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's kind of, like, two, like, factions in this wagon train. Yeah. Uh, one of them is the good guy faction, and one's the bad guy <laughs> faction. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I feel like a lot of the plot points of the movie, a lot of the things that happen just mm-hmm. are, like... It's, it's like, loose. It's not super plotty in a way, because it's just, like, a bunch of stuff yeah. happening it, it, it on, is, the, on the character. It is on kind of vignette in that, like, yeah. it's, like, or episodic, maybe, is a better mm. word for it. Yeah, they've got the fording the river scene. They've got the 
negotiating with the uh, the Indians scene. Yeah, they've got the um, the the battle scene, yeah, circling the wagons. Yeah, scene. There's um, I will say a lot of the just the imagery of the actual like wagon train because it is just like vast open landscape with this massive wagon train going like to the horizon um i don't know it's cool it's cool just to see something that big and like yeah just the fact that they staged this massive thing it's a really big scale movie like like large scale scenes Honestly, the, like, the fording the river scene, it's meant to be this, like, really big set piece. And I was like, okay, it's a bunch of horses and water, whatever. Yeah. But, like, it does seem like it was, like, a really, yeah. like, expensive and, like, oh, yeah. big thing to shoot, for yeah. sure. But I feel like all the characters are kind of stock characters at this point. Yeah. Even, yeah. even this early in, like, film history, it's like, oh, yeah, these are all already very well-established, like, archetypes. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. I I um I enjoyed it a lot. And there were like a lot of moments in it, um especially like moments of comedy that um yeah. like I halfway through the movie I was like this movie's all right. And then like in the back half of the movie there are some like really like just fun scenes. Well, I think in the back half of the movie they introduced the best character in the movie, which is uh <laughs> Jim Bridger. <laughs> who is who is this uh this guy who like might be a polygamist mormon or something uh, yeah there, there's a, a couple of weird references to, to mormonism but yeah. not in like in like kind of a joking light i think like i feel like yeah um well we'll get to the 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 next part but yeah jim bridger was a, a real guy i think right oh i don't know i have no idea but he's definitely kind of a comic relief character in this who is constantly drinking uh, liquor, spelled L-I-C-K-E-R in the liquor. intertitles. I hardly even know her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to the point where, like, he can't remember stuff until he gets himself drunk which, again. Which becomes, like, a major plot point, which yeah. is so funny. So, like, like, they do, like, him and his friend, they have this, like, William Tell kind of thing where they're like, we trust each other and we know each other as friends. So, even though we're drunk off our asses, yeah. we're going to uh, shoot holes in tin cans rested on each other's heads. Probably my favorite scene <laughs> in the movie. It's so good. Because um, it's also, like, kind of a, like, formally adventurous scene, too. Like, there's, like... The POV stuff of him aiming down his gun. It's got like a for, like a doom. It, it did it before doom. Yeah, and did, it did aiming down the sights before Call of Duty did. Um, no, I mean the the rock doom that has the first. Person oh no, shooter yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I got that. <laughs> um, and then like yeah, it's like he's drunk, so it's like the it's blurry at first, and then he like wipes his eyes and it's clear. Um, I don't know. It's just a funny scene of. <laughs> Yeah. Really drunk dudes trying to shoot. Cowboy dudes. Yeah. <laughs> there, um, there, if you were to cast this movie now, Sam Elliott would be somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that it's Jim Bridger and who's the other guy? Uh, uh, Joe Jackson, right? I'm not good with names, but yeah. Is the other character. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Those are the two kind of like more like rough and tumble, like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, tracker guys. Yeah. 
who but are, they respect the main character because he's a good cowboy, even though he's a clean-shaven, pretty boy from yeah. the north, yeah, <laughs> or from the east <laughs> or wherever. Um, but the, the, all the scenes between those two are my favorite parts. Of it. Like those two characters, I thought really kind of oh yeah bumped the movie up a lot. In my yes, eyes. literally, I was like, I was like, let me give it another half star. Let me, let me give it another yeah. one on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> like we because we were watching this live, and oh by the way. Uh, if you're listening, uh, we're recording this in our car in between, <laughs> uh, in between uh, uh, sets of movies. And we're about to go watch Safety Last, which is next, and it's the next time you'll hear from us, uh, along with a couple other uh, Harold Lloyd shorts. Mm-hmm. But we weren't able to take notes. so Right. So it's kind of... I'm, I don't have anything to fall back on. I'm just sort of like, what else happened? It's impressions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, do, we're doing it. I'm not doing any impressions. Not your Lawrence Caston impression. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, okay. I I mean, that's all we got. After well, Yeah. Covered Wagon. Covered Wagon. But then after Covered Wagon, we got to see two comedic short films which are which direct are direct parodies of the Covered Wagon. Yeah, yeah. And I like these. I thought they were a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the first one was called The Uncovered Wagon. Yeah. And then the second one was called... Well, we could talk about The Uncovered Wagon. Well, sure. Should we talk about them as a group? They're kind of similar. Yeah. They're basically the same movie twice. Yeah. So... Or three times. Right. Uh, there's The Uncovered Wagon and then Two Wagons, comma, both covered. Yeah. And they're they're both produced by Hal Roach, who was a big, like, short comedy guy in the 1910s and 20s. They're both really leaning into the idea of parody. Like, more yeah. so than, I think, any other... Thing that we've watched for this show yeah the, the they I, I mean i was just saying to you that like they are like the meet the spartans of their yes, day exactly uh, it feels yeah. like it feels like a very um feels like a very zucker brothers mm-hmm. like especially the first one uh, yeah. uncovered wagon felt like a very zucker brothers style of comedy yeah for sure uh, as, there there's a part you know it's it, there's a part where it's like you know they're going out West in their covered wagons, and then the wagons are just like cars with yeah. like with like covered wagons, yeah, with like bed on sheets on them. them. Yeah. <laughs> um, like people are riding bicycles and stuff. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing about actually all three of these wagon films is that it's not the first time I think it's ever been used, but it's the first time I remember seeing it in any of these movies that we've watched, which is having a like scrolling backdrop behind someone. Hmm. Yeah. Like. They're supposed to be, like, you know, riding a horse or, in the case of the parody movie, riding a bicycle. Yeah. And instead of actually filming someone doing that, they have them stationary with, like, a backdrop going behind them. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's, like, rear projection or if it's actually, like, they're, like, cranking a backdrop that, like, moves behind them. It's The the shots are really quick, so it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Which is probably good because, like, you you don't see the artifice of it as easily. Right, yeah. But that's not something, that's, like, a very, like, classic movie effect. Mm-hmm. that I don't remember having seen up until this point. Yeah. So I'm, not, mean, I'm not sure where, when that started. I wonder if, like, Melies almost, like, did something like that. That sounds kind of familiar. He did have... That's true. He did have backdrops that moved and yeah. scrolled. So, I guess he was probably the first one to actually do it. Um, Papa Georges. Yeah. Uh, another thing that's in all three movies is that there's, like, a little... Like, a, a boy character who... Yeah. Uh, in in the original, it's not a joke, I guess. Maybe it's a joke that like 
he's just like chewing tobacco the entire time. This... I don't. It's. I mean, it's treated in kind of a lighthearted manner. Yeah. In in the original, the the covered wagon. Uh, but yeah, it's this like ten year old boy who's like chewing tobacco and just kind of like the the peanut gallery on yeah. on all of the uh, love triangle drama as, that's as ten year old boys did in <laughs> Western times. Um. And in, in, in these other shorts, I think it was Uncovered Wagon, uh, where, no, no, it was, um, it was two wagons both covered, where <laughs> the, the character playing the boy, in the original, he plays a banjo from time yeah. to time. He plays Oh Susanna, which um, the accompaniment uh, Ben Modell uh, yeah. played on the, on the piano yeah. uh, while he was doing it. Um, in two wagons both covered he has a saxophone <laughs> which which is just it's it's great classic old west instrument and there's kind of a weird dig at like saxophone players yeah in the movie which i was like hey come on now there's a lot of like yeah i mean in the style of these like newer you know 15 years ago parody movies yeah. that were happening like it's got a lot of these like winking references to current day like yeah, the, like the, yeah. the moment it's like whoo stuff's going on in new york like oh better yeah. better park the wagon outside of la so it's safe you yeah. know which uh, i mean like some of them some of them are like so old-timey and like of the moment that you're just like oh boy like this is a 20s movie for sure <laughs> some of them i thought were genuinely really funny yeah and a lot of them i was either just confused by or just like this is dumb and bad <laughs> but these movies both were really funny yeah. I like I like them a lot. I mean, they're both, like, very... They're, like, four gags every second. Yeah. They're so fast-paced. Which is great. You know, honestly, like, you know, we've been focusing a lot on this kind of, like, these classic, um... Yeah, the... the like, slapstick the, comedy yeah, the, guys. Like, Keaton, Chaplin... Uh, Lloyd. Yeah. And, like, this is, like, a bit more broad of a mm -hmm. comedy. It's a bit less focused in on one aspect. It's just, like here's some jokes and gags and goofs, yeah. you know? Um, and it feels... Honestly, like, I thought that the, the Covered Wagon and, um, uh, and, and these parody movies, uh, a lot of the movies that we've seen up until now, you know, I've, we've been kind of, like, tracking the development mm -hmm. of the style. And I think that it's pretty common, uh, like, like editing-wise, pacing-wise, uh, yeah. for them to feel old. And I think that, like... The stuff we've seen from 1923 so far, it it almost feels like a step forward mm -hmm. in like it like a subtle step forward in like this feels more like a movie that is put together in like a more modern way. Yeah, I know we keep saying that, but it's like these more well, yeah, incre a, incremental. Yeah, because every year everything feels a little bit more modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, but I, it's cool to be able to notice that to be like, yeah. and it's for not to just be like, oh, this stuff again, and for it. To, for stuff to feel fresh and new, and mm -hmm. like every year, there's something that's like, oh, we haven't really seen this. Yeah, a lot. In, in all three of these, I think like the editing had energy. The mm -hmm. um, the just like writing and and the, especially yeah. in the com the comedy shorts, like the writing had this energy that we don't see in a lot of. That other was stuff. the thing that stuck out the most. Like their sense of humor, the two parody movies, yeah. is so unlike any of the like, yeah, any of the Keystone movies or any of the slapstick stuff that we've watched up till now, mm -hmm. and that felt. Again, very m more modern. Yeah. More, more, yeah, more like a Zucker Brothers thing or like Mel Brooks than anything else that we've watched. Mel Brooks is another good reference point for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, another um, 
another movie that was oh and but the other thing about uh these shorts is that mm -hmm. they were played on a 16 millimeter which was, was cool. really cool yeah the the first movie was played off of a blu-ray on a digital projector but uh, there was there was a projectionist in the back with a 16 millimeter. As soon as I realized that it was going off, I was like, "Oh my god, why am I sitting in the front? Like, I gotta be next to the projector." Um, and yeah, they all had live score, which was really cool. Yeah, like it's not the first time I've seen a silent movie with a live score, but it's the first time I've watched something for the show yeah. in that manner. So that was very fun and cool. We're having fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then we thought that, that was the end of the first segment. Yeah, but we got we got a bonus short. Got a, a bonus comedy short. Uh, which I forgot the name already. Uh, uh, gift something. It's a gift. It's a gift. Starring. It's a gift. Starring Snub Pollard. Indeed. Um, and I don't think I'd seen any of his work up until. Yeah, and now. I hadn't. I hadn't heard of him. Yeah, I had uh, like vaguely heard of him. I think just in that he was also in the mix of like silent comedy people. He's got. He's he's got. Uh, you know, he's in the Hal Roach. Uh, yeah, group of group of he, he has, actors. He has a comedy mustache, but a very different one from Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> Big, not small. Yeah, <laughs> um, he went the opposite direction. And this movie is like about him as like this kind of zany inventor. Yeah. Uh, and there's like this stuff about oil magnates. Uh, yeah, a lot of oil magnate jokes, which feels very topical for the time. Yeah. <laughs> clowning on Rockefeller. Yeah. So the the Snub Pollard character is introduced, like, waking up in bed, and he has all these inventions that are, like, doing his morning routine for him, kind of. Yeah. Like, he pulls this... He has all these strings above his bed, and he pulls each one, and, like, one, you know, starts a... Uh, uh, the Starts a little flame, and another one he pulls, and, like, it drops a kettle onto it. It pulls another one, and, like, uh, a chicken lays an egg in, like, a, a Rube Goldberg shoot that goes yeah. down and it cracks into a bowl. Literally the, the, literally the beginning of Flubber, the beginning of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Uh, and, um... To the point where I, I'm pretty sure there's literally some of the same exact... Like, contraptions. Contraptions as the beginning of Pee-wee's <laughs> Big Adventure. Yeah. Where I was... is one of those things where, like, I saw that movie not that long ago but it's like i was familiar with that movie already i was like oh it's you know a classic yeah so. i love peewee and then watching this which is a movie i hadn't heard of i'm like wait a minute this is just that scene in 1923 <laughs> yeah what the hell um snub did it first yeah but in in terms of history he got snubbed ah yeah another example of just a thing showing up way earlier than we typically think of it being zany inventor making breakfast was already a thing which is a big thing i was seeing in like 80s <laughs> comedies because there's like peewee there's honey i shrunk the kids does it there's at least one or two others that are escaping my memory of yeah like some mm -hmm. invent i guess back to the future kind of does it yeah um of like rube goldberg machines and an inventor inventing things that don't really work always so after he does all this you know that pulls a string that pulls his pants up and like there's also all of his clothes are, like, built into his apartment, his, like, bedroom, kind of. Like, his tie yeah. is, like, part of the Wallace window. Wallace Gromit also did this, too. True. Very, <laughs> very, very true. Um, and, like, his hat is in the vase of flowers. Um, just, like, weird, yeah. silly things like that. And, like, um, much of the movie, even though, like, it's got these kind of, like, weirdly arbitrary, like, uh, premises, mm -hmm. uh, much of the movie is focused on 
his car, uh, yeah. which is this is a great thing. <laughs> like like he he, he there, there's a big cylinder outside of his house. Yeah, this is garbage. This is garage. Well, it says garbage oh, it says, first. Right, it says garbage. And, and then he pulls yeah. the thing down, so it covers the B, so it says garage. <laughs> and then out pops his little, like, rocket bullet car. Yeah. Uh, it's just big enough. It's like a motorcycle sidecar that he can yeah. sit in. It's got no <laughs> engine. And this inventor, this zany inventor, the way that he gets around is he has this big cartoon magnet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then... Uh, and then hitches on to the magnetism of passing cars. Yeah. And there's a lot of gags of him, like, changing direction by, like, pointing the magnet at a different car going the opposite direction. And, like, pulling stuff off of the street as he goes by. Great magnet gags. Very Looney Tunes. Yeah. Very, like, Roger Rabbit. I mean, Roger Rabbit literally has a giant, you know, giant <laughs> horseshoe magnet. Who doesn't? Yeah. Um, Wiley. But... Yeah, it's like classic goofy cartoon jokes. Yeah, yeah, but was, in live action, it was fun. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. I want. I I just remember one other gag from the from the covered wagon parodies, mm. uh, which is the, uh, in two wagons both covered. Uh, <laughs> at the end, uh, there is a raid of of the escrow Indians. Yeah. Probably, maybe my favorite joke in that. <laughs> and you're like, okay, like, they're just making reference to, like, the term escrow. And then it turns out they're, like, business guys in suits yeah. who are trying to, like, flip properties. Yeah, on they're them. all, like, real estate salesmen <laughs> who come out and they're all they're all wearing, like, 1920s suits and hats. And they're like, you know, we got this new property in California that's really, really hopping. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it was just such an unexpected very 1920s joke that didn't it, but it didn't feel the humor of it didn't feel dated it was just sort yeah. of like very topical and thankfully to the not time. necessarily not like too offensive you know <laughs> yeah like, they, especially during the comedy ones i was like oh oh boy yeah there, there are some jokes in there that had to have not aged well sure yeah uh but yeah that one was really funny uh and also felt like like this mel brooks like blazing saddles kind of thing yeah. of like completely modern people stepping into a western right you know? yeah yeah uh do you have anything else to say about these films i don't think so i think well, we covered most of it well the, here there was our uh, our snap responses to the, this first set of films uh we're about to watch safety last for the first have you seen it before no for the first time I'm very excited i am too catch you later youtube watch on youtube you can see us in our car it's so cinematic and exciting <laughs> so we're back in a hotel room section two of this episode section two part two part two let's call it part two what's wrong with section oh it's weird <laughs> anyway we watched some uh, some harold lloyd pictures a couple of shorts we had an all harold lloyd evening yeah according to the program um a sort of a sort of brief harold lloyd retrospective of three shorts sort of charting his uh, development of his sort of screen persona across the three different shorts um, and then culminating in his most famous film. Yes, Safety Last. Yeah. The the three shorts were Miss Fatty's Seaside Lovers from 1915 mm -hmm. uh, which is a Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle picture uh, but uh, Harold Lloyd's basically an extra in it. I so 
supporting role, maybe. A, su- a supporting role. He plays one of the, what are they Best called? supporting actor. He's one of the seaside lovers. Yes, but w- they're referred to as... How to be a seaside lover. They're referred to <laughs> in the film as, not toughs. There's some word that they call them. Not chaps. I'm forgetting. We're very tired, if you couldn't tell. And we're each two drinks in at the hotel bar. <laughs> that too. <laughs> um, anyway, there was a funny word that they called those three seaside lover characters. Um, that feels very 20s. Uh, we'll edit that in later. Sure. Uh, the second one was Lone, was Luke's movie muddle. And then the third one from 1916. Mm-hmm. And the third one was Get Out and Get Under from 1920. Uh, leading up to safety yeah. last 1923. And you can really see... Well, yeah, because, like, Harold Laurie's barely in Seaside Lovers. He's just yeah. one of three kind of generic... One kind of, of, one of three guys who is going after Fatty Arbuckle in drag. Yeah. Uh, for her money. Yeah. Uh, and they all have very old-timey 1920s bathing suits. <laughs> yes. Just like in, um, in one of those... Um, one of those uh, uh, parodies of Covered Wagon. They put on mm-hmm. an old-timey bathing suit. Yeah. Uh, the pre-Tarzan bathing suit where uh, men could not show their nipples. Yeah. And so they just wear a big stripey onesie. Yes. Kind of a vibe. I want one of those bathing I kinda suits, do, actually. I mean, especially <laughs> in the past year, Benoit Blanc's bringing that look back. So That is true. That is um, true. The stripey beachwear is coming back in style. Um, the, the first one, Miss Fatty's Seaside Lovers, I felt was, uh, uh, it really shows you the development and comedy style that has mm-hmm. happened in the eight years yeah. since it came out. Yeah. Because uh, Miss Fatty's Seaside Lovers, uh, what a title. What a title indeed. Uh, is literally just people falling down over and over again. Pretty much. Often in water, which makes it a little bit funnier. Yeah, there's but some under underwater shots. That actually stuck out to me. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I felt like this movie was, like, so simplistic. It yeah. was literally yeah. just people knocking each other over yeah. <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. A lot of a lot of big comedy kicks and slaps. And... But it's not inventive, you know? The comedy that the, the big three are doing, they mm-hmm. are taking these slapstick physical comedy bits and doing something inventive with them. Yeah. Where this stuff, uh, you know, right after the movie, I compared it to Tilly's Punctured Romance Mm -hmm. with you. And, like, it is this 1913 to 1917, I'm just kind of making those numbers up, like, style of... Mid-1910s style. Yeah, of of really simplistic physical comedy mm-hmm. where they haven't like gotten their chops to like spin an entire house around on a on a turntable right, yeah. kind of kind of comedy. They're a lot less elaborate and they're less thoughtful. Yeah. And they're they're more they they go for the easy joke more often than not. But it's so easy that it's not even that funny. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, e- even as far as 1916 one year later mm-hmm. with uh, Luke's movie Muddle, which is fairly similar this at least is like it's more, got a bit more going on it's a bit more going on it's, it's more of a Harold Lloyd vehicle it's his earlier sort of comedy persona of Lonesome Luke yes who is looking like Chaplin yeah. but very, I guess very Chaplin-y less, yeah kind of character 
stuff. Like, like Chaplin's he, short. His yeah. his dress is similar. He has like a a different mustache, but a mustache. And and like similarly coiffed hair as well. Yeah, yeah, true. It's 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 <laughs> it's kind of a knockoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And in the introduction, they were talking about how uh, Harold Lloyd was never really satisfied with the Lonesome Luke character mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's not creative. It's not a knockoff, right. and it's not it, him. It, it it's is not something. Doesn't it's not coming from his yeah own uh, je ne sais quoi. Uh, I don't know his. His, um, I don't know, his instincts, I guess, maybe, yeah, um, are a little bit less uh, utilized in that character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this short is fun because, like a lot of shorts at this time, kind of like in, in the vein of The Cook, Fatty Arbuckle mm-hmm. The Cook, it's just like, here's a profession, yeah. let's get some jokes out of it. Guy works at a movie you know? theater, whatever, a bunch of zany things that can happen there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's some, I mean, there's some good, like, the things that I liked the most in this one were, like, the kind of hyper-specific 1910s movie theater jokes of also just, like, seeing the set of, like, a movie theater that's just, like, a bunch of folding chairs. Yeah. And the hand-cranked projector that is hot enough to cook an egg on. If, uh, uh, if you all hop on our Instagram, uh... I mean, this this will be coming out after the story is is over. Maybe we'll make a highlight on Maybe. Instagram. There you go, yeah. uh, but uh, you'll see a bit of me uh, operating a circa mid nineteen tens hand crank projector. Yeah, and it was it blew my mind. It was so cool. Very similar amazing. to the one in in the film that we watched. Yes, and and very similar to the one in Pearl also. Yes, it might be the same model. As that one, like it, it's the Maybe. the like the boxes for the reels, the sort of exposed circular um, shutter, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is very similar. I, I when when the projectionist was getting all tangled up in the film, I felt that. <laughs> I haven't done that exactly, but uh, sometimes you feel that way. Sometimes the film is yeah. just all over the place. I mean, that's one of the joys of film, right? Is to express how something feels, not necessarily how it actually is. You're the filmmaker. I'm just the uncreative uh, uh, purveyor of the art. <laughs> I don't know. There's not much else to say about that one. It's, it's again, it's pretty straightforward. It's like uh, a bunch of jokes in a movie theater. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Some fun bits. There's, it's, there's it does, some hat jokes. There's, there's, a, there's some hat jokes. There's a little bit of like a parrot sketch kind of... Uh, like he's running from one role to the next in the movie yeah, theater, yeah, uh, which is which is fun, but yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, and then the third one is a is much more sort of like all right, this is Harold Lloyd fully formed yes. as his his glasses persona. Yeah, get out and get under, which we hadn't seen. This one's from nineteen twenty. Yep, which we did not watch for that episode, but this movie rules. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Get out and get under is so good. <laughs> It is, again, I think, a fairly, not necessarily rote, but, like, it's a, it's, a, it's an established sort of plot setup, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, of, like, he's just, he's just trying to get the girl, kind of. Even credited as the girl. It, that, that's the case in, like, so many of these Harold Lloyd pictures, yeah. is that he's usually credited he's as the boy, the boy. Yeah. and then there's a, the girl. Yeah. A, the girl. 
usually played by Mildred Davis. Mildred Davis, who he did actually marry in 1923. Yes. After Safety Last. After filming Safety Last with her, and then, according to the person doing the intro, uh, as as is the custom, yes. women stop working yeah. once they're married. I, I also read that, that after they got married, uh, Mildred Davis just stopped acting, because it's like, well, she's a wife now. <laughs> and it's like, well, that sucks. 1920s. But, you know. That's why everyone, including Georges Méliès, was mad at the suffragettes. There you go. Because... They wanted jobs. They wanted jobs. <laughs> um, but yeah, Get Out and Get Under, very fun. A lot of car gags. And some really, yes. really good, funny car gags. It, it's making me feel like one of... Harold Lloyd's like signature bits is like a car or a train or some vehicle getting away from him mm-hmm. and then him running really really fast just booking yeah. it to get back on that car or train um, yeah but like there's I don't know there's the bit with like the guy walks out and he's got his garden and he's like so proud of his garden and immediately you're like something terrible is going to happen to this garden and then of course Harold Lloyd uh, backs his car out of the back of his garage through the wall into the garden ruining it and he's like oops sorry yeah and then well then he's like he gets all freaked out and he's like oh it's fine my car isn't scratched so <laughs> everything is everything is cool here yeah um there's a great bit where he's trying to fix his car's engine he climbs entirely inside of the car mm-hmm. um which was very funny yeah I mean true to the car humor uh so According to the program, mm. uh, the title of the film comes from a popular 1913 song, quote, he'd have to get out and get under, par- open parenthesis, to fix up his automobile, close parenthesis. Get out of the car and get under the car to fix Unquote. it. Unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Which he does in the film. Yes. Yeah. Car Trouble, the movie. Pretty much, yeah. But, uh, like, really, it does very much feel like this is... Like, he's got his comedy persona fully formed. Yeah. And there's this, like, Harold Lloyd firing on all cylinders, kind of. Well, this this is, like, you know, it's like these maybe late 1910s, uh, early 1920s uh, comic, comedic shorts where uh, you have a premise and you're wringing all the jokes Mm -hmm. out of the premise. But I think that, like, a lot of that other stuff... Yeah. (laughs) A lot of that other stuff, it's like, we have the premise and then we're going to bleed it dry, you know? Mm -hmm. And this one is, like, let's keep it dynamic. We're going to change up the setting. We're going to change up the scenario. We're going to add in a banana peel, you know? (laughs) So So that it's, like, the same kind of ideas, but... It's not, like, wringing it dry. It's just, sort of, mean, like, giving it new context. With the fact that joke. they get two jokes out of a single banana peel, yeah. and they both work, is pretty <laughs> amazing. Banana peels are so funny. They are. Um, but just the fact that it's, like, they do that joke twice, and it doesn't feel like repeating itself. That it's, like, yeah, it's like no, we do it again, but it's different the second time enough that, yeah. Um, but then we get to the, the highlight of maybe the whole first day of this festival. Yeah, and another one that we can add to our list of, like, the most famous silent films of all time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what have we seen iconic. so far? We've, like, icon- of iconic silent yeah, like, films. Yeah, tri- Trip to the Moon. Trip to the Moon. Uh, uh, like, Intolerance. Another garbage D.W. Griffith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got um, 
Nosferatu. Great, Nosferatu, Great Train Robbery. Yeah. Uh, Nanook of the North. Yeah. Um, and standing amongst these is Safety, Safety Last. For sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe one of the more iconic silent mm-hmm. film images of Harold Lloyd hanging from a clock yeah. many stories up in the air. And something that's sort of reused in things enough where even if you have never heard of Safety Last, I feel like a lot of people have seen the image of like hanging from a clock. Like that is such a iconic reused yeah. image of like hanging off the hand. Before I did this podcast, I was not aware of Harold Lloyd. I was aware of the image of a guy hanging off a clock, but right. I thought it was like Buster Keaton or Charlie yeah. Chaplin. Because I thought like they were the two silent yeah. film comedy oh, slapstick there's guys. Three. There's three. I mean there's plus three. plus Snub Daniels or whatever his name is. Right. I mean plus like Roscoe Arbuckle, plus Mabel Norman, plus like a lot of other people that aren't quite as well known now, but were incredibly famous yeah. in, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'd heard of Fatty Arbuckle. Yeah. I had not heard of Roscoe Arbuckle. No. His true name, uh, Snub Pollard. Snub Pollard. I had I had not heard of Snub Parla- Pollard. No, that's a funny name. It is a funny name, um, and he made a funny movie. A couple funny movies. Yeah. Um, but uh, Safety Last is kind of a masterpiece. I think. Like it is. <laughs> an, it is an incredible film. It was, yeah. Like, I was. I, I went into this movie super jazzed to see this, and I was like yeah. very excited for like yeah. this is this is the big Harold Lloyd movie. Like this yeah. is his his movie, you mm-hmm. know, the most famous one. Mm-hmm. And I was still kind of blown away by how good it was. The expectation doesn't serve it poorly because this movie is so fun. Yeah, uh, and really tense. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is it's it's less sort of narratively ambitious than I think some of the other stuff but certainly than like the last couple Chaplin films like yeah Chaplin's like really compared leaning, to like the kid yeah, or something especially with the kid Chaplin's like really leaning into that thing of like I just I want drama like, I want to tell I wanna a story ha- I want to have some jokes but I really want this to be like a very narrative heavy like dramatic tear jerky thing and I feel like Harold Lloyd is like no I want people to pull their hair out of their head because of how stressed they are <laughs> watching but also laughing yeah uh, yeah it does seem like you know, Buster Keaton is going for this, like, formal thing. He's going for absurdity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I um, I have in the past, if we're to, like, move ahead with Buster Keaton stuff, I have seen uh, Sherlock Jr. and College. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't have the schmaltz that Cha- right. Chaplin has. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, like... Maybe a little less so. They don't have like the the kind of daring of yeah. like the the stunt dev, the stunt uh, right work. But they're they're a, super a, inventive in their own yeah. way, right? Like the Buster Keaton thing is pushing things forward in its own direction, yeah. right? But Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd are definitely going in a direction. They're, they're the they're, two they're like more similar heavy yeah, guys. Yeah, they're and and more comedy heavy, you yeah. know. Like, they're going in a direction that is more similar to each other than either mm-hmm. is similar to Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, I think so. Um, but, I mean, I I was, I was thought of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol watching this movie. Of just the idea that <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise now is, like, super famous for all of his stunt stuff and, like, how yeah. willing he is to, like, put him his own body on the line for the stunt or, like, the yeah. scene or the shot. And that is 100% what... 
card load he's doing a lot of the time. I mean, he's using doubles sometimes and camera tricks and stuff, but it's mm-hmm. still like the goal. The end goal is the same, which is like I can't believe what I'm watching, and I'm so. Yeah. And it's not just the fact that he's like hanging off a building, because there's so much more to it than that, right? It's like the fact that it's like each level. Each like story of the building he's climbing up. It's like ratcheting up, ratcheting the, up the, tension. the tension because he's it's a game of death. <laughs> the whole thing is that he's he's climbing up this building as to, to sort of double his best friend, who actually is an accomplished climber who can climb buildings. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that he's going to get to the first story and then they're going to swap out. Yeah, but then his friend is getting chased by uh, a. A policeman, classic, classic, because they pulled a, a silly gag on him earlier in the movie. Yeah, through mistaken identity, and so he's getting chased up the building by the cops. So there's this like parallel chase movie happening inside the building <laughs> as Harold Lloyd is climbing the outside of it. Yeah, and like each time he gets to a new level of the building, like a different like a dog comes out and tries to get him, or like so many things. Like yeah, like yeah. they offer him a rope. And then they don't like tie it down in time, yeah. so he reaches for the rope, and it just but like then it's falls like he down. He spends so long trying to even get to the rope. Yeah, and it's like, it's like if he can just get to the rope, he'll be saved. But then of course he grabs the rope and immediately just falls because the rope isn't <laughs> tied to anything. It's, it's so yeah. It, like uh, in the intro, they were talking about how like they filmed the end of this movie first, mm-hmm. and then they were like, "How do we get? How to can this we reverse end? engineer a movie that <laughs> yeah. can lead to just, this climax?" Because yeah. the climax is so well engineered, yeah. I think. It's um, incredible. Like, this stuff with these, like, preceding levels. Mm-hmm. They get, like, you know, they they get all of this mileage out of, like, what can happen right. as he's climbing up this building. What can pop out of the windows. Mm-hmm. What what can hit him in the head. What he can drop on the ground. Yeah. Right. But it's like each one is also set up before it's paid off, right? Like, you see mm-hmm. what's happening inside each of the floors before it comes out and, like, causes him conflict. Yeah. Right? Like, we set up, oh, there's a dog in this one. Oh, there's, like, people pushing a board out of this one. Yeah. Oh, these windows open in a weird way. <laughs> um, so it's not, like, they're not coming out of nowhere. Like, it gives you time for the tension to build because mm-hmm. you know what's coming each time. Yeah. Kind of. Um, and I feel like that culminates on the top floor when there's the spinning thing. I don't even know what that's called. That's Maybe, the, like, a weather vane or yeah, something. Yeah, it's a spinny yeah. thing. And he keeps almost like hitting it with his hitting head. it with his yeah. head and not quite, and it's like oh he almost hit his head, but then like oh he got distracted, he's doing this other thing, and that happens like three or four times. It's good, it's really until good. Finally, this thing does hit him in the head. It, it pays off. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. It's like it's like yeah, it's like teasing you the entire time. You're yeah. like you're like you're waiting for the moment. It's like ratcheting up the tension, but it's also like you're expecting a laugh when he gets bonked in the head, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's like every time it's just like bring you right up, right up to yeah. the moment, and then like bring you back down again, yeah. you know. And and so you're just like, ha ha ha. When's he gonna get hit in the yeah. head and almost fall off the I building? Was you know? Sweating watching this movie, I was. It's <laughs> so tense. It's an edge of your seat kind of climax. But it's the sort of thing where I feel like there's almost an inherent watching movies that are this old. There's a bit of sort of like we. I feel like we tend to grade them kind of on a curve. Of like, well, this is good for the time, uh-huh. you know. Like, oh, this is really impressive for when it came out. Yeah, I feel like Safety Last is just a good movie. Period. That is impressive. Yeah, yeah. Regard like, 
No qualifiers. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, parts of this movie are, are as tense as Mission Impossible movies in terms of just, like, oh, he's gonna die. Like, I the mean, actual honestly, actor, Harold Lloyd, is gonna die doing this. <laughs> it's okay, he's already dead. <laughs> True. Uh, I mean, honestly, I felt more tense watching this than a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, I was comparing it to... Uh, it's it's more more comparable to Mission Impossible, but in terms of like the tension that I felt, mm-hmm. I was comparing it to Hitchcock, right? Uh, if you're talking about suspense, but then it's also very funny, yes. Much like a lot of like Jack Chan stuff, yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot of influence from this movie. You can like really feel how influential this movie in particular was, like this specific movie, not just the like overall oeuvre. Of I said oeuvre, which is a very pretentious word, but it's, very, what, what it's a James Lipton word. The this, the oeuvre of of silent comedians. <laughs> um, what is your favorite curse word? <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like that is such a people cite that so much. Like Jackie Chan cites that. Like people who make Mission Impossible movies cite that. Like oh, we love we love the Harold Lloyds and the and the Buster Keatons. You know. Yeah. Um, and it is like those guys were just so damn good at it that people are still like trying to match that. Yeah, and I feel like this is a great example of like this is like some of the best examples in like all of film history of tension and also like cutting tension with comedy mm-hmm. and building tension at the same time as like because comedy is also built around tension and timing, so it's like. You're getting stressed, but it's also, like, as the tension builds and the stress of the situation builds, mm-hmm. it gets funnier because, like, yeah. you're like, how much more can happen? You're like, oh, clearly we've we've reached the peak of this thing. Yeah. And then yeah. more, th- it, it gets worse. And you're just like, what? How? It's cool. How I mean, is this possible? It, it, it feels like it's half the movie, though it's probably less than half this scene where he's, like, yeah. scaling the building. And there's some, like, kind of contrived plot reasons why he's doing it. He's, like, right. trying to... He works at a department store. He's trying to, like, get a big bonus for, like, doing a stunt that's going to, like, raise awareness for the store. It, it The plot of this movie is very contrived. It's very much, <laughs> like, you can kind of feel the way that it was, like... We did this cool big third act set piece, and then we made up a yeah. bunch of bullshit <laughs> to justify it. It's also like really sitcommy in just this like I've I've told all these lies, and I've got to like yeah. like navigate I, it. And I like, told my girlfriend I'm I'm a manager at this store, and now I have to pretend to be yeah. Um, I'm taking two girls to the prom at the same yeah. time. Oh. But even, like leading like the entire rest of the movie that leads up to that is still a really funny it's a lot of well built yeah. movie all the stuff of him like working at the store and having to like uh, there's like the the right him pretending to be the manager but then there's yeah. the stuff of him like the the crowds coming in he's like selling fabric to people yeah um and all the gags with that are all great um it's great gags. Yeah. I mean, I feel like until that this kind of like climactic building climbing scene happened, I was feeling like the movie was a little thin. Yeah, uh, and I, it is in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Like it's it's thin, like thematically. It's it doesn't have a lot going on. It doesn't have yeah. a lot of feeling in it, like genuine feeling, you know. But that's not what it's about. Yeah, it's about uh, the tension of 
climbing up the side yeah. of the building. <laughs> and what and like what kind of are we gonna do on the way there? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, but even still, like it the it holds together as a co- whole cohesive movie, I think, better maybe than I expected it to. Yeah. Considering that so much of it is just like a justification for the right. end of it, like yeah. it, it works still. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, yeah, it's great. I love this. Is one of my favorite things we've watched for this entire show. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Safety last. Yeah. It's kind of, it feels kind of fitting that uh, we're right near the Evil Knievel Museum. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I wonder if we should like try and make our way over there at some May. point. I, I'm curious if Evil Knievel ever talked about the influence of Harold Lloyd on it. We we may or may not be able to go. I don't. It might not be open on Sunday actually. So we'll see. Uh, right, so lots uh, of nineteen twenty three. Covered wagon was the so. Uh, um, what is it? Uh, Ten Commandments number one uh, highest grossing movie of nineteen twenty three. Number one. Uh, covered wagon number, number two. two. Safety last number three. Was safety last number three? I believe so. I think that says it in the program. There you go. We're watching the big hitters. Exactly. We're watching the end game. We're watching the. Uh, what's what's the number one grossing movie that's not a uh, Marvel movie? Uh, they're all James Cameron movies. It's just James Cameron, James it's, Cameron, it's, Marvel. It's, it's Avatar, Titanic, and Avatar Two. God, <laughs> what a state that we live in! What a state! Yeah. So, lots more 1923 I mean, hey, stuff. Like, oh, hey, the biggest grossing movies. It's all The Mill and Harold Lloyd. True. What a state we live in. What a state Cinema we live in. Cinema is dead. <laughs> it only just started, yeah. and it's dead. See you tomorrow for day two of the Kansas Silent Film Festival. So, welcome back. <laughs> we uh, just are... We're... Most of the way through, two thirds of the way through, yeah. uh, day two of the festival. Indeed, uh, day two of two. Day two of two. We have what two movies left? We've got uh, one big movie and one short. Yeah, by a yucky man. <laughs> uh, what we watched this morning uh, was, well, I guess uh, there's a documentary about Cecil B. DeMille that we'll talk about. Yeah. After we, as we talk about, um, Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Yeah. Which we haven't seen yet, but the documentary was about that. And so yes. we're going to watch that tonight. Uh, so we started off with, uh, two shorts. Uh, the first one was called Miles of Smiles, mm-hmm. uh, with Baby Peggy. Baby Peggy. Everyone's favorite. <laughs> she did good. Yeah. Baby Peggy. Yeah. Uh, it, she's doing a bit of a nutty professor type thing. Uh, I was gonna say like a like sort of a parent trap situation. That's better. Which is probably more accurate. Yeah. In that she plays identical twins who are separated when they're babies and then meet back up and they're like, one is from like a wealthy family and the other one works for the railroad. <laughs> works for like the miniature railroad. Yeah public transit system (laughs) that's run by kind of like a a mafioso con man (laughs) and employs uh like four-year-old children yeah as as you do that you find on the train tracks that yeah (laughs) 
he finds he finds a, a a little girl playing on the train tracks, and he goes, "Me thinks a new employee yeah. this makes." <laughs> it was nice. It was yeah, charming. It was fun. Yeah. It had some fun. It was very like. I mean, like Parent Trap, I guess. Mm-hmm. It had these very, like, show-off-y, like, we're twins and we're both on the screen yeah. at the same time Split screen kind of thing. Stuff, and she plays and like, both. And, like, oh, they, like, they're both wearing the same clothes now and everyone's mistaking one for the other. It's all of those jokes that you could make. Yeah. All rolled <laughs> up. It's it's very sort of straightforward, but, but fun. Yeah. A little short. Yeah. Ten minutes. Pretty, pretty, um... Yeah. Pretty simple. Pretty sweet. Uh... Uh, she gets she she finds her family again in the end. Yeah, and it did remind me a bit of uh, Baby Herman from Roger Rabbit, not in the actor Baby Herman. I feel like the character Baby Herman in Roger Rabbit is almost sort of a bit of a parody of movies like this. Hmm. Like, but like, in cartoon form, <laughs> like movies just about like about cute like kids. yeah like cute kid gets into gets into hijinks and is like there's definitely gets into peril but doesn't realize it that kind of thing ah uh, yes yeah there definitely definite hijinks in this yeah one. yeah uh and then next we watched a 44 minute long short yeah uh, might be like three or four reels something like that mm-hmm. um called bellboy 13 yeah uh, also fun yeah, yeah, it was it was all right. I thought is a a Douglas McLean short who's sort of uh, a lesser known silent comedian, um, but he did a lot. He did a lot of movies. Many with uh, many of which are lost. Yeah, which is part of why mm-hmm. uh, he's lesser known. Yeah, a bit a bit more of kind of like sitcomy. Sit, yeah, like yeah, that's situational comedy. I, yeah. I guess that's what sitcom means, literally. Or sort of, like, screwball comedy type stuff. Less about, like, stunts or slapstick gags. And more about, like, look at this crazy thing he's gotten himself into. But it was fun. There was a really funny whole section in it about uh, communism. (laughs) Or Bolsheviks, as it says in the (laughs) intertitles. Yeah, so, like, he starts working. It just kind of, like, happens into a job as a bellboy. Which is weird. The movie's called Bellboy 13, but he's not a bellboy until, like, two-thirds of the way through the movie. I'd say about half. For, like, about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Right, yeah. But, yeah, there's there's a point where um, uh, he wants to, like, get back together with his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And and the way that he feels like he can uh, wield his power is by... Striking yeah. just by having everybody strike. They're all like, everything's unfair, everything's horrible, uh, <laughs> labor conditions are bad, uh, we won't stop striking until our demands are met. Yeah. Uh, and and then everyone's crying Bolsheviks and they say, down with capital. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's all completely disingenuous, which, yeah. you know, as as a filthy commie, I wasn't a, a, a huge <laughs> fan of. But It's very, very topical 1920s humor, yeah, though. Yeah, true. Which true. is funny. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he, his girlfriend gets back together with him and then he goes, okay, everybody strikes off. Our yeah. demands have been met. <laughs> this this guy commandeering it for himself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about this one. No. It's just like, it was fine. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> it had kind of the, um, the intertitles were kind of interesting because they were like, very elaborate yeah. painted intertitles. And really, like, strange looking, too. Yeah. Some of them verged, I think, a bit on, like, 
some racist caricature type imagery. I don't mm. know. It definitely evoked a certain like minstrel show showy style at certain times with the faces. Uh, well, yeah, there was, um, but they're they're very surreal. They're very yeah, like bizarre looking. I would say more like Ren and Stimpy. It was it, maybe yeah. It was uh, I, I'm anything from this period. I'm just sort of like I'm just ready for it to be gross in some way. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then we had a break, but it was only an hour long, so, yeah. uh, we needed to grab coffees before, yeah. uh, before the next set. Lay up on our, our caffeine intake. Rather than, um, doing a quick recording about those. So we'll move right on to, uh, our first movie of the set that we just watched, mm-hmm. which is Little Old New York. Yeah, which is a Marion Davies picture. Um, I had never seen any of her actual movies. I yeah, me either. knew of her mm-hmm. as a person. But I'd never seen any of her. I feel like she's most famous for being uh, William Randolph Hearst's mistress, which is kind of unfair to her work as an actor. Because <laughs> uh, I thought she was good in this. Yeah, she was. This was a this was a fun movie. I I yeah. actually felt like um, this was it's a, it's a little long I, and I, and a little stuffy at times. I thought it meanders a bit. Yeah, but I think it like meanders in the way. That, like a, a novel does. You know? True. I mean, it is based on a novel. Yeah, yeah uh, and it's also starring Harrison Ford, by the right. way. The yeah. original Harrison Ford from the twenties. <laughs> uh, yeah, a different Harrison Ford. Yeah. Uh, in the interest, in the, like the love interest, basically yeah. role. Uh, the setup of this one is that it's in like eighteen early eighteen hundreds New York City. Yeah. And there's a bunch of stuff with this this guy dies and leaves behind this fortune inheritance. But it's to a specific yeah. nephew of his. Right. Who dies, who lives in Ireland, but dies on the boat over. So his sister uh, has to pretend to be the nephew mm-hmm. by getting a haircut that is still pretty feminine for the 1920s, I feel like. I feel like yeah. her, her disguise is not that effective. Yeah. <laughs> but everyone... She shows up, and it's like, this is, you know, this is the nephew. And everyone, all the men there are like, uh, mm-hmm, uh, yes, this, this <laughs> very attractive young man just walked in. We have definitely seen this bit before. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, this movie reminded me of I Don't Want to Be a Man, to a degree. As I Don't Want to Be a Man mixed with Daddy Long Legs. Yeah, with maybe a little Mulan thrown in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I mean... Not everything about this movie works, but no. I, I thought that um, they get some good jokes out of it. They get, I think there's there's some good like emotionality in it because like there's all of this like stakes with the money, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, there's a point where uh, the, the so the stepson of the guy who died uh, is the is Harrison Ford. He's the love interest in the movie. Eventually, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the last. Two minutes, he is. I mean, he is kind of throughout the whole thing. It's just he's sort of very confused about it for a while. Right, yes. Because he's like, you're a little boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're a little boy who is my cousin. Yeah. Oh, you're just my cousin? Great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then and then the director walks in and goes, step cousin. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Pretty um, much. Like, there's a point where... Uh, Harrison Ford's character uh, starts is really in need of money, and he like takes this like risky bet on a boxing match. Yeah, and because like 
so much is on the line for the characters that you've known for the last half an hour, mm-hmm. like hour and a half. Um, it like it like adds a lot of tension into the boxing yeah. match. I thought a boxing match where one of the boxers is the terror of Hoboken, <laughs> which is a great boxer name. Ah, uh, yes, this is very very New York. This movie it is, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's at least partially shot on location, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was shot in a studio in Harlem, which then burned down during the production of it. Mm-hmm. But like, there's there's a scene on the Hudson, which I'm fairly certain that looked like the Palisades that yeah. was in the background yeah. behind them. Exactly. So yeah, looks, probably. I was like, yeah, it looks like the Hudson where yeah. it's supposed to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, most of it was shot, I think, in New York before yeah. they like picked up shooting again after the fire in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Yeah. But yeah, so. You know, he's confused. He's like in in the the guy who's who dies is Will. Mm-hmm. He is to be like the caretaker of this uh, young boy, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> quote unquote. He has he has weird feelings. He's with a kind of like stuffy woman who yeah. just disappears once uh, mm-hmm. uh, at, at some point in the picture. A stuffy woman who likes to name drop people she's met in in England, in London, and Paris. There's a ridiculous bit which I think I think we both like looked at each other when this happened in the movie where you know this this girl is from Ireland and when her whole her whole bit is figured out and she's impersonating someone mm. and and she also like uh did a false uh, fire alarm ooh yeah um so she's like in court and they're like we have to punish you we have to send you back to London but you're Irish. <laughs> and I was like, uh, 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 uh. They're Americans. They don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Do you have anything else about little old New York? I was probably maybe a little bit less patient with this movie just because we've been watching movies all day. And so I was sort of like, mm-hmm. all right, let's keep it going. It does drag. But I don't know. I thought there was a lot of charming stuff about it. For sure. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, like, funny intertitled dialogue, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think Marion Davies is very good in it. Yeah, yeah. She, um, and I guess it's it's apparently a thing that Marion Davies is in drag in a lot of her movies. Yeah. Uh, dresses up as a boy or man. Yeah. Um, there was a, a biographer of her uh, speaking before the movie, mm-hmm. and she was she was like, some people said William Randolph Hearst asked her to do this over <laughs> and over again. I don't see any evidence for that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? I mean, the biographer, probably. I feel like she did research. I mean, she wrote a book about Marion Davies. I trust her opinion. By the way, I um, <laughs> after we watched Toll of the Sea last week, mm-hmm. I um, went to... I was just, like, searching some stuff on Anna Mae Wong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a YouTube channel that is dedicated to Anna Mae Wong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the person on the YouTube channel was talking about the character in Babylon that mm-hmm. is like sort of inspired by anime Wong or like yeah. based on her. And, uh, the, the, the title of the video is basically like, uh, <laughs> was anime Wong gay? Yeah. Uh, and then, so this person's like, anime Wong has like lots of, uh, record of, you know, being together with men. Uh, and there were rumors mm-hmm. that she was with women or gay or bi, but there's no evidence. So I don't think she is, 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one thing that I think is kind of interesting about the character in Babylon is I feel like that character is mostly based on anime Wong, but is also kind of combined with Merlina Dietrich. Hmm. Because her whole, like, the whole song that she does in the beginning is, like, I don't know if that specific song is something Merlina Dietrich performed, but, like, her costume is very similar to the tuxedo that she wears in the movie Morocco. There's, like, a lot of Marlena Dietrich in that character also. Mm-hmm. I don't know who that is. Oh. It was someone who was rumored to have gotten together with Anime Wong, so. Oh, okay. What's she in? We haven't seen anything with her, have Not we? yet. I think she might be in some German films at this point in the 20s, but mm. I'm not sure. But we'll we'll get to it, I think. I'm just saying. It's the 20s, so it's hard to say because everyone it's was. Hard to say. You know. They were buried. Because society was worse back then. They were buried together in a coffin because they were best friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that in the 20s. Uh, so the next two movies that we watched, or the first, the next one that we watched, mm-hmm. the next two movies that we watched were Charlie Chaplin movies. Yes. Uh, and the first one was a short called The Pilgrim. Yeah. Which was from 1923. Yes. The Pilgrim is either the last or one of the last movies that Charlie Chaplin made under his first national contract. I think they were saying it was the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because even though he had already helped found, uh, United Artists, he was still under contract with First National to make a couple more movies. So he had to make, one of them was The Pilgrim, which is a pretty, like, eh, it's a charge happened short. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I had some it had some good laughs in it. Yeah, he he pretends to be a priest cuz he's an escaped convict and that's like the clothes that he finds. And so there's like people are trying to get married and they're like, "Hey," and he's is running away from them and then he like gets kind of roped into doing a church service and doesn't know how to do it and is like lighting a cigarette and <laughs> telling a a seemingly extremely violent uh yeah. retelling of Samson and Goliath with beheading in it. Sa- David and Goliath. Yeah. Different story. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's a fun one. Yeah. There's a kid who slaps him a bunch in it, which was pretty fun. <laughs> uh yeah, some good bits in this. I you know, it doesn't it doesn't have the kind of uh schmaltz of the kid. Right. Yeah, it yeah, it's like after that it's much more, it's leaning much harder back into the comedy. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's like and um like the the kind of it's like a light romantic angle in the way that mm-hmm. you would find in some of his older shorts. Yeah. It's it's longer, but I don't think it like it suffered for it. You no, know? it's well paced. Uh it's forty four minutes, something like that. Yeah. It's funny that this one has a kid in it, but it's like a naughty kid who causes trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and then they like kick him and stuff. Yeah. Charlie I mean Honestly, like, you know, it's a classic thing with a Charlie Chaplin movie to, like, kick somebody, and yeah. that's funny. But, like, when it's an adult kicking an annoying <laughs> kid, it kind of, like, steps it up a notch, you know? How can we heighten this joke some more? <laughs> Let's kick a child. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we watched uh, a very weird, not a Charlie Chaplin movie, a Charles Chaplin movie. <laughs> In The Pilgrim, he was he, his directing credit was Charles Chaplin as oh, well. okay. Yeah. Well... I still feel like that is a a distinction, that this isn't a Charlie Chaplin picture. Yeah. Because he isn't in it. The two faces of of this man are Charlie and Charles. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This is the first movie he directed that he isn't in, I think, and maybe the only one. And it's not a comedy. It's a drama. 
It does star Edna Proviance, which is like his frequent co-star. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's a very dramatic movie. It's very serious. Yeah. I mean, I think like it, it, it has a, a card at the beginning of it, which right. is Charlie Chaplin saying, hey, y'all, I'm not in this movie. Uh, don't look for me in this movie. Yeah. I, I mean, he is technically in the movie. He, he has, has a, a cameo. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't spot it, but I you couldn't see his face very clearly yeah. in the cameo. Yeah. So, but he says, "I'm not in this movie. This is not a comedy movie. Uh, understand that I'm trying to, yeah, get more breadth as yeah. an artist. I'm trying to create drama. Um, and it is like it was better than I thought it would be. I I liked it. I thought yeah. it was good. I mean, it it has these issues of being like. I'm known for comedy, so when I do drama, I have to do drama. Yeah, it's know? like he might be overcorrecting a little bit <laughs> yeah. at times, where it's like it's a very serious dramatic film. Yeah, <laughs> um, and there there are some light moments in it. There's yeah. there are a couple like mild laughs in it. Yeah, but it's really like a guy's loading up a gun, so you know he's gonna shoot himself. Yeah. you know. I mean, there. I think I feel like a thing that I felt about uh, Woman in Paris and. Little Old New York, both, is they're both very kind of, like, talky movies. Mm-hmm. Before talkies were really a thing. A lot dialogue heavy. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of people in rooms talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that just inherently doesn't quite work as well in silent movies as, like, the wacky comedies that we've seen or the, like, German expressionist horror stuff. Why do you um, say that? What makes you say that? I just feel like those feel like they're really embracing a certain type of storytelling in that I feel like uh, Foolish Wives, I feel like kind of falls into the thing too of like, if it's relying too much on just like people sitting and talking, mm-hmm. it, it, it drags and it feels, maybe this is just my modern, you know, sensibilities talking, mm-hmm. but like, I feel like there's moments in Women, women of woman of Paris that work really well and they're all like visual things like not dialogue there's some really nice compositions in that movie but Um, like there's maybe my favorite part of the whole movie is there's the bit where um so in the beginning of the movie Edna Proviance's character um Marie Marie yeah she's trying to kind of like run away from home with uh this guy Jean 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 and she I just kind of assumed up. that they were like American and then they said we're going to take a train to Paris and then oh, no, I was like yeah, ever, I, and then like are they British and then yeah. everyone and then, in this movie's French yeah it's all it's all they're in the French countryside but yeah. not Paris um but so then she ends up uh taking the train without him and leaving him behind um that too is a, a very good example of like good visuals where like you don't actually see the train pulling in you just see the sort of like shadow of the train oh, in front of true. her face much less expensive. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, but so then they they end up meeting years later in Paris and, like, reconnecting, and she hires him to paint a portrait of her. Mm-hmm. And she has this fancy dress that she wants to... that she's wearing for the portrait. And as he's painting, he's like, don't look at it. Like, wait till it's done. Can't look at it. Can't look at it. And then she peeks at, like, takes the sheet off of it and looks before it's done. And it's her in the clothes that she was wearing when she left on the train and left him behind. Yeah. And just and that they thing... Were, they were to be wed. Right. Just that thing of her taking the sheet off and revealing it and reacting... Yeah. ...is 
a great moment in the movie and is like a very charged, impactful scene. Yeah. That is relying entirely on just like the reveal of this painting. True. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, I think that my modern brain, when we talk about like a dialogue heavy movie, mm-hmm. my modern brain, uh, I have a, a cursed modern brain that might be working in a slightly different way. Whereas I feel like when something goes too long without a title card, mm-hmm. uh, my mind can kind of lose focus a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, title cards, having to, like, hop between looking at something and reading something, mm-hmm. like, it yeah. keeps me a little active, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I don't actually mind it when there's that, a lot of title that's, cards. That's a good point. Anyway, I, I don't want to say that there's, like, these are inherently worse movies or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. a thing that I've noticed. Maybe I just tend to enjoy the ones that are a bit more reliant on, like just purely visual stuff yeah and charlie chaplin knows how to do visual stuff yeah like and he also knows how like visual storytelling Mm -hmm. like there is a decent amount of scenes where you don't know what people are saying but you get the idea yeah uh and i think it just like also has a lot of dialogue i will say i know what you're talking about with the extreme amounts of dialogue because sometimes there will be a scene where not a lot's happening but a lot of dialogue has Mm -hmm. to happen yeah and so you're spending half the time like reading like you 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 uh you know it it shows the characters for a second then shows the title mm-hmm. card then shows them for like another second yeah. and then shows the title card uh because they need to like just chew through a bunch of dialogue right like, yeah which so i guess is what we're, not, we're talking about we're not about. really being able to but like you can't really watch the characters listen as much and react to stuff so it's like it just it, it breaks it up a little bit it breaks bit. it up and i feel like it makes those scenes feel longer because it is yeah. it you have to show someone talking cut to the t- intertitle of what they said and then show the reaction whereas if it was done with sync sound it would be yeah. you could do it in half the length and still achieve the same effect which um uh i might have pointed this out before but that's one of the things that i think is really cool about the animated movies at this time is that mm. they're able to have the when people are talking or right. animals are talking <laughs> uh, in these uh, in these animated shorts, they can just show the text on screen yeah. uh, right in front of them. So they don't have to stop everything yeah. to do that. There's occasional use of text on screen in live action stuff, but less so. I didn't think it's really almost ever used for dialogue. Like Caligari yeah. had some of that. And the golem, the golem did. Yeah. yeah, the golem was just like an incantation. It right, was more yeah. of an effect to them, like yeah, a, pretty much, like something to get dialogue across. Um, true, true. Um, I, don't, I thought this movie was Woman of Paris is really interesting, just in that it's like it is like a Charlie Chaplin movie, mm-hmm. but it is so different from the rest of his work. Yeah, purposefully. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, I don't know. It's I was just I thought it was very fascinating watch for that reason it was fascinating and and you know uh i mean i i don't know i liked it a lot i i think that this is my favorite thing that i've seen so far today mm. um it uh I don't, it I, th- I thought it just worked really well it unlike other movies that worked really well it did, uh, that, that we've seen it didn't have any like icky stuff in it you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think like the closest thing it comes to that is like it 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 gets a little bit into like what what is like a woman's place kind oh, of stuff. Yeah, it, I it forgot, feels like I it, forgot about that. It is, <laughs> I think, kind of pushing against that. Like I think it's for a Charlie Chaplin movie from 1923. It's yeah. maybe could be considered feminist, even if it wouldn't be now. 
I mean, I think, you know, it is, <sighs> it's about, um, I mean, the main character is this person who was, like, basically escaping an abusive dad. Yeah. And she, as a result, has become a bit of, like, a flighty person. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I feel like these people have, like, a lot of interiority in this movie. Yeah. Which, which is yeah. good. Um, like, it's, 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 I think it's, like... It's understanding that her flightiness, like, had like hurts other people, mm-hmm. but also like she's like entitled to it in yeah. a way. Like she, like she is, like, like yeah. When she's about to like kind of make her grand elopement to mm-hmm. Paris with uh, Jean, um, and then you know he has like this kind of hiccup in the plan, and she's like, "I'm going to Paris," you know, mm-hmm. like it's. You can understand what's going on for her, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the movie has a lot of sympathy for her. And it's really only at the very end when it's just sort of like, she's like, I just want to be a mother. I'm going to adopt a bunch of kids. I think she's confused, honestly, Yeah, at, in that moment. Um, but it's like, that's the only thing in it that I I was sort of like, mm, I don't know, this is maybe a little bit... Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I think the movie is trying to present... Uh, the the character of Marie as someone who is like not conforming to like usual like uh, female gender roles and that kind of thing. Yeah, but I don't know if it totally succeeds. It's um yeah I mean you know it was made by uh, someone who married a sixteen year old <laughs> yeah uh, more than once. <laughs> uh, so you know it's not it's not going to be perfect along yeah. those lines, but. Um, you know, if we're, if we're talking about, uh, you know, a third wave, fourth wave feminism type thing, which is way off from where Charlie Chaplin Mm. is, but if we're to look at it through that lens, you know, that like her wanting to, um, be kind of like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a solo type person who, um, you know, is with men like, uh, who's like you know with with men in this kind of like loose way hopping from she's like basically dating this like wealthy Frenchman yeah pretty much just so that he can like buy her lots of stuff and take her to parties and like right. she's living a lavish lifestyle but you like these two people do not really care about each other very much like they're both kind of using each other for like social reasons right but they're both kind of fine with it yeah and, like, she doesn't feel any... You know, she feels, I think, valid in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if we're to look at it through that lens, like, it's also valid if she wants to have kids. This is a new revelation yeah. at that moment, right? But it's, like, it's a valid way of going through her life. Um, and I don't know if the movie... You know, it's complicated. I don't know if yeah. the movie, like, comes down on any side, whether the movie thinks one is right and one is right. wrong. Well, I mean, I like how at the end of the movie, right, we see her with all these kids and we assume that she has, like, married a man and, like, had a bunch of children. Mm-hmm. And then one of the kids is like, Mom, father is here. And then a priest walks in. Yeah. Um, which is a great gag. <laughs> she got thee to a nunnery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we find out that all these children are, either she's, like, looking after them or they're adopted. That is, I guess, a little bit unclear. I think she's, like, working, like, right, in a yeah. church, like, helping um, children. Basically. But I, I like how it doesn't... She doesn't end up, like, 
married with a bunch of children at the end. Like, I like how it's... Yeah. She doesn't, like, you know, fall into that. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of trauma that happens in this movie, yeah. you know? Uh, and I think that, like, a lot of her uh, love life gets a little too, like, wrapped up in horrors uh, yeah. for her yeah. to, like... It's, it's Yeah, it's a very, like, melodramatic movie, for yeah. sure. Um, it has some, there were some funny bits though. Like he still f- slipped a couple. Yeah. Good there was, jokes there was in a part there. in the kitchen that had some stinky food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was someone, uh, ashing a cigarette into a saxophone. A tiny saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked it a lot. I, yeah. I, I thought it was a really like emotionally nuanced movie, honestly. Yeah. Like, like if you get back past the fact, like if I didn't know this was directed by Chaplin, mm-hmm. you know? And I didn't feel like it was trying to prove itself. Yeah. And just, like, taking it as it is, I would say this is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, there is... I'm completely forgetting her name. There's a, a real person that Charlie Chaplin dated for a while that this movie might be kind of based on slash inspired by. Hmm. Um, who was a sort of... She was, like, involved in show business, but was kind of, uh, kind of just famous for being famous. Ah. Socialite. Um, socialite. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, there's a uh, an episode of You Must Remember This about about her and sort of like hmm. how th- partially about how this movie might be like Charlie Chaplin sort of working through stuff about that relationship <laughs> or just sort of like her as a person inspiring this story partially. Yeah. And if, if we were if we were to go back to Charlie Chaplin's uh, potential issues as a person and uh, Too much sexism. Uh, I mean, w- w- as this movie was being introduced to us, uh, they were talking about how um, you know Ed- Edna Proviance has been his kind of like leading lady, mm-hmm. uh, basically his entire career, pretty much. Yeah, um, up until this point in his career. Right? Up until this point, yeah. and the reason that this movie got made was because he was basically like, I think, that, or at least you know what they were mm-hmm. telling us is right. that like he was like the tramp character. Like needs to be in love with sweet young ladies. Yeah, an ingenue, an ingenue. Um, and Edna, you're getting too old for yeah. this, basically. Which not, is not, really not a great look for old it's, Charles. It's not a great look. It's a little harsh. Yeah, Th- this movie was him trying to do that in a nice way and say, "I still, you know, I still care about you. I still yeah. want to help you. You're my friend, right?" Yeah. But like. Uh, the tramp can't be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're getting too old for it to right. be a tramp's love interest. So we're going to like help you get into a dramatic movie career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to be a dramatic director yeah. at times, also. You know, uh, so let's usher you out of the Chaplin world with yeah. something dramatic and try and like reframe you this way. Mm-hmm. And didn't work. <laughs> It for some reason it didn't work. Yeah. Like like honestly, I think she's really good in this movie. Yeah, um, me too. And uh, you know when they were framing this, they were like uh, Edna Proviance was good at reacting to Charlie Chaplin, and I'm like, she yeah. she she does so much more in this movie than she has done in any other Chaplin stuff I've yeah. seen. Definitely. Like, she's just there a right. lot of the time. I know? mean, she is the lead of the movie. Yeah. Which she definitely isn't any of the... But she gets more to work things. with, you yeah. know? Yeah, Like, the the female character in a lot of these um, Keaton, Lloyd, Chaplin mm-hmm. movies 
it's usually someone who's just there. Right. And they're not, like, actually getting yeah. to do much comedic stuff. And someone who's there to the point where they usually don't have a name. Right. <laughs> they're usually the girl. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so it's like, who who says that she's pigeonholed as a comedic actress? Like, she's not yeah. even doing anything comedic, you know? She's right. just in comedy movies. And then when she's in this drama, I thought she was fantastic. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I don't know what necessarily the... I feel like this... I think this movie got, like, a positive response when it came out. But it was also, like... People were like, it's good, but do more funny stuff, kind of. Right. Um, <laughs> Make us laugh, clown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which is, yeah, it's kind of too bad. Because I do think Edna Proviance is very good in, in as a dramatic lead in this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take another break, because we need to eat dinner. <laughs> We're going to get some Kansas barbecue. Indeed. All right. Uh, see you all in the next segment. All right. We're back once again. Yeah. To talk about the last leg of the program. Indeed. Which was one D.W. Griffith short from 1909 mm -hmm. and the Ten Commandments. The original Ten Commandments. Cecil B. DeMille made two of them. The original Ten Commandments was thousands of years ago true and those were those were on uh stone tablet not film <laughs> so we're mostly here to talk about uh ten commandments right. but let's let's uh touch on this short mm -hmm. which is <laughs> i guess it's worth clowning on a little bit while we're here yeah yeah this is this is dw griffith in all of his worst filmmaking tendencies. Yes. Like, <laughs> not, not just his, like, regardless of his, you know, tendencies as a person and his opinions and that sort of thing, but purely as a filmmaker, all of his worst instincts yeah. and tendencies. It it, is, yeah, exactly. It is the maybe the least elegant thing I've seen <laughs> from him. The short's called The Medicine Bottle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it almost feels like a parody of a D.W. Griffith short. It's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, um, there, there is a girl who goes out partying. Yeah. Which is bad. Yeah. And, uh. A, a big hat party. I. Which I'm starting hats. to think he that. He hates big hats. That's like a thing with him. He hated big hats <laughs> so much. That comes, oh there's at God. least, I think that's the third or fourth movie that touches on it. How many axes does he not have to grind? Who say? He's got he's got vendettas but up the it's, up the it's, wazoo. It's a, a weird hell to die on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she goes to a big hat party. <laughs> she's supposed to uh, she's supposed to give her sick grandma medicine, uh, but the medicine is in a similar size bottle to a random bottle of poison that's yeah. just sitting on the same counter. Just a bottle of poison. It just says poison, <laughs> and then. <laughs> And then she uh, absentmindedly picks up the poison and takes it to the party. I or she she takes the um, the, the the medicine to the party. Right. She accidentally takes the medicine to the party instead of the poison. Right. <laughs> like she was going to take the poison to the party. Is that yes. is that what the con the conception was? D W David yeah. Wark. <laughs> what do they do with parties? They take poison. <laughs> so then. She's like, my little sister, uh, you do my task, and at midnight... My little sister, who's like six. Yeah. At midnight, give grandma a spoonful of whatever's in this bottle. Yeah. <laughs> no, Never you mind yeah. what's in the bottle. 
and so the it, it's it's also DW doing another riff on Lonedale Operator, which he was or or, or I on think, um I think this is before Lonedale Operator. Or it's another it? riff on the the Grand Guignol um like yes. original right uh, yeah. uh, which I'm forgetting the name of yeah. Uh, this story that he has made so many times yeah. and he's doing another riff on it. Right. Which at least if you if you give it this something, it's like slightly different than the same story again. Right. Because it's like rather than I forget what year Lonedale Operator was though. But I think Well, I this think is only was... one year after Gr- Griffith started making movies. Right, but it, this does feel like kind of the proto version of that. Yeah. It's like the most simplistic, blunt, dumb version of it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's, like, rather than the original Grand Guignol one, which is, like, there are some people that are in a house that is being broken into, and they call someone on the phone, and the other person is rushing to get there. Which is suspense, also, the lowest one. Yes. Uh, plenty of, plenty of early movies were yeah. riffing on this story. This one is a riff in that, like, uh, more, more kind of women that he hates, uh, uh, who are the phone, the switchboard operators are yeah. the thing that's causing the tension. Like, like once, once the, 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 like, the irresponsible girl at the party realizes what's going on, she's trying yeah. to call home, but the switchboard operators are goofing off. They're too busy gossiping or something. <laughs> They're just chatting away with oh each other God. instead of switching the board. Um... But yeah, in the nick of time. But then, yeah, they they keep cutting back to the the little <laughs> sister, like really slowly walking towards the grandma with the poison, and then she like drops it on the floor, and has to go back and pour more poison to really slowly walk back over. It's it's so it's like the most contrived version uh, of this thing that yeah we've definitely seen. Yeah, uh, it's it's hilarious. Um, it's I. It definitely feels like D.W. Griffith in for his son mode of dislike. Yeah. People go to parties and do drugs and drink poison. Like, yeah. <laughs> everyone's um, out there drinking soda with cocaine in it. Yeah, we were. What? We, we like right before Ten Commandments was this D.W. Griffith short, and we were eating barbecue, and we were like, "Do we rush back to watch a D.W. Griffith short? Mm. Is that worth it?" But I think it was worth it because it was hilarious. <laughs> uh, it was, it was just like the if you don't count the racism, the worst parts of DW Griffin. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was funny because it because it's a really early one. We're like, oh, maybe this is him when he was like kind of experimenting with stuff and was like kind of doing interesting things. Yeah, and he had like a bit of a like pro labor message with yeah. Warner Wheat. Uh, and no, it's 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 none of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if, if this movie had started a terrorist organization, it would be his worst film. But sadly, there's a different movie that did that, so that takes the cake. Right. Oh my god. This one's funny, though. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was so, that was a nice aperitif yeah. uh, to this very serious movie it, that's afterwards. It, it was weirdly appropriate as, like, an intro to... Mm-hmm. Ten Commandments because Ten Commandments is a very like a finger wagging movie yes exactly <laughs> a very like moralistic like gotta be good gotta follow the Ten Commandments yeah. otherwise a church will fall on you it's interesting I mean uh, we could go over the plot a little bit in a second but like uh, Cecil B. DeMille we know him as this guy who loves uh, I don't know like 
excess, excess yeah. drama, sex, blood, you know? And, like, just grand scale, like, big, you know, big sets, big movies. Yeah. Um, and this movie is that, but it's also, it's not really the movie that I thought it would be. I knew that it was set in, you know, uh, Exodus time and contemporary time. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize it was more, I thought it was more of a 50-50 thing and less of a, like, I don't know. 30-70 thing? Yeah. Trying to go what the exact right ratio would be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's mostly a contemporary, like, morality tale. Yes, but given the context of, honestly, not super necessary context for the movie. Right. Even though like, we've heard of the Ten Commandments. Right, even though it's <laughs> far and away the best part and the only part of this movie anyone remembers or cares about, kind of. It's the only one that I knew about. Right, yeah. Actually, I mainly knew about the Charlton Heston version, which is the remake that he did in the 50s. Which is just that. Just the, the, like, sword and sandals, like, period piece stuff. I could be into that. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, it starts off with a pretty um, straightforward telling of uh, parts of the Moses story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, It kind of comes in after a lot of the plagues have have already happened. True, yeah. And then, yeah, it's, the big showstoppers are basically, uh, apart from the sets themselves, yeah. are the parting of the Red Sea, mm-hmm. and um, maybe this kind of, like, wild party that all of the yeah. Israelites throw yeah. while Moses is up, the, like, meditating the, on the, the mountain The or golden, uh, what is it, the golden... Golden calf. Golden calf. Yeah. Um golden calf party which yeah the person introducing it was like of course uh cecil b demille uh puts an orgy scene in <laughs> yeah because yeah. <laughs> because on. this guy uh loves god but also is um just he loves excess yeah. and drama yeah. and extreme things yeah he, he's i mean honestly like you know, a lot of the time when people are making religious movies, the religion aspect, I think, gets in the way of it being a fun and good movie. Mm. Uh, I think this is a fun movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> Parts of it are. Yeah. I think the, yeah, like, the prologue, the Moses stuff is definitely the best part, yeah. I think. Um, it's the most impressive from, like, filmmaking standpoint, just because of, like, mostly just due to the scale, like, you know. Hundreds, if not thousands, of extras. Yeah. Massive set. All the the huge sphinxes, the plaster sphinxes. It, yeah, the like parting of the Red Sea looks really cool for a twenties effect. Like it's yeah, it's definitely a yeah. really ambitious like effects driven section of the movie. Which yeah. is like the wall of fire looks really good too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 got and also um, I thought something one of the really cool effects is when. The Ten Commandments are being told to Moses oh, by yeah. by God, and they're like exploding and, onto the screen. Literally, yeah. there's like this kind of like explosion implosion thing. Yeah, and then the letters like burst out of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, very dramatic. A lot of a lot of cool effects in this movie. Yeah. Um, some some really cool like staging and lighting too. I thought in some of this stuff, like there's the bit where uh, the Pharaoh Ramses is like mourning his his firstborn son and he's like carrying him through this like shadowy dark yeah room and there was like a you know top lit sort of like statue head behind him yeah um and he's dragging this like huge like cloak cape thing behind him like along the floor there's really moody lighting in that yeah. temple yeah. um 
Which is something that I've seen in a couple DeMille movies. I mean, the uh, cheat has the really cheat good is, Yeah, the cheat has some really dramatic, cool lighting in mm-hmm. it. Um, there's some other things that reminded me a lot of the cheat in this movie later on. But, yeah. Um, in a less good way. <laughs> um, but, oh yeah, and then some of it is filmed in two-strip Technicolor, even if the restoration that we We watched the DVD of it and for the first half before the intermission, and then the second half was in 16mm, which was pretty cool. But... Yeah, a lot of the stuff at this uh, at this festival has been 16mm. Yeah, like, like most of Most it. of it, yeah. which is awesome. It's yeah. really cool. Did not know or expect that. Yeah, and, but it really adds to the experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so the, the Technicolor scenes are not super well preserved, at least in the version that we watched. Which was yeah. kind of a bummer, because they... I mean, unless, like, they were meant to be kind of like that... I don't think so. I think like, they're just like really. The Toll of the Sea is like really punchy colors, you know? right? Yeah, and like I wonder if this was meant to not like blast you in the face so hard. Because I, I, I feel like the other stuff that I've seen in Two Strip Technicolor looks more like Toll of the Sea. I see, like yeah. the punchy like red green stuff, whereas this like yeah. is very faded, very yeah. washed out, very. It almost looks like overexposed in places. Yeah. I mean, I kind of thought it looked a little better, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I did not... I almost wish that there was... I would rather watch it in black and white if it was a better print, kind of, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it looked very washed out. I think that the, the, the less, sat, the less like, oversaturated colors helped it feel like, like a suggestion of color and, like, a mm-hmm. little more realistic in that way. Maybe. Uh, but... It's like, I, I feel like if it was just tinted a color, it would look better. Yeah. 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 None of the films we watched at this entire festival have any, any tints on them, which has been... I guess because most of them are 60mm prints from, the, like, the 60s. Yeah, I don't know, like, uh, about I think how sh- possible that is on 16mm. Right. Yeah, and, like, a lot of the shorts, I think, don't typically have tints anyway, but, I don't know, just a thing I noticed. Yeah. Uh, so, after the Moses sequence... Yeah. There is another thing I want to point out about oh, yeah, that. Yeah. There's a really cool couple of shots of, like, all of the chariots of the Egyptian, of the pharaoh's, like, soldiers chasing after um, the Israelites through the desert. Mm-hmm. And it's shot, like, on the back of a car or a truck or something like that, like, speeding along with all the horses galloping yeah. and chariots it's a, it's a really good scene. Really cool shot. Like, yeah. we ha- I hadn't seen a lot of that type of stuff. In movies up to this point. The, I mean, so that's I guess the other thing I'll say about all this sequence, this whole sequence, is mm. like the scale is very big, but like a lot of a lot of what's happening is on the human level, mm-hmm. uh, which makes me think that they could have just painted a backdrop and saved a million dollars. You know, <laughs> that's not the Demille way. I guess not. But it, you know, we were just talking about. Eric von Stroheim and his yeah. excess, yeah. you know, and then so he made the most expensive movie, and then Demille's like, "Let me, uh, let hold, me make... hold, hold my Manhattan." <laughs> uh, no, it's Prohibition. Hold both my Manhattans. <laughs> it, uh, one, uh, well, I'm getting distracted now, but one thing that I noticed with these movies from 1923 is a lot of them involved alcohol. Yeah, like, like it's fully Prohibition. And yet, these people are just like, we're all really drinking alcohol, yeah. though, right? Which yeah. is wild. Like, yeah. I I wouldn't have thought that Prohibition 
would be taken so unseriously by so many people. Right. I, mean, I, I knew that it was, like, it was not uncommon for people to, to drink during Prohibition. Like, it, it really didn't slow things down at all. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I'm surprised at how it is, like how much it is being flaunted in popular culture in terms of just, like, movies are just like, we're all drinking. Like, no one cares. No one cares. Yeah. And, like, sometimes, like, Woman of Paris is set in France, so they're all drinking because... And a number of them are set in the past. Right. I mean, there was one of the um, Chapman shorts, The Pilgrim, it says, in the good old days before Prohibition. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It could have been done more cheaply. Not, you know, not that I'm, like, a studio executive, but, like, like, a lot of the stuff, like... We only get a handful of shots that involve this massively constructed, like, yeah. Ramsey's gate, yeah. you know, that, that was probably the bulk of the cost of all of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, the 100-plus-foot-tall thing that is in the background of a few shots, but, yeah. like, if you look at... I mean, it at, looks real cool. If you look at, like, Babylon from Intolerance, yeah. it's, like, a much more detailed set. Yeah. And, like, it yeah. seems and more much expensive. more impressive-looking. Yeah. It's like it feels more like a city set, even if it's like a bunch of pillars mainly and like yeah. stairs and stuff. And they get more mileage out of it. Not that I'm more sure. to you know heat praise on Look, D.W. Griffith. If there's obviously. one thing positive we can say about any D.W. Griffith movie, it's that the set intolerance looks real good. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So that ends, and yeah. then we dissolve from Moses. Uh, into the present. Yeah. Into the McTavish family. Yes. Uh, who, uh, one of them is a good little boy who yes. loves his mother. Named John. Named John. And he is a carpenter. Get it? He's the good one. And um, he's a carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is the bad one, Danny. Yeah. Danny McTavish, who... Is, is a little a contractor, is a, a little stinker. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little stinker. Uh, initially, he starts off as a little stinker, yeah. and that is like the beginning of his downfall. Is that if you if you are a little stinker, yeah. then and, and you he... will go to hell. A <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, thing that uh, like increases his little stinker value, as well as just a thing that made me, amused me is how, especially in the opening scene where we first meet him, how much he looks like Pee Wee Herman. Because <laughs> he's got a little bow tie and, like, a gray suit. He's got, oh like, slicked God. back hair. And he's, like, doing, you know, goofy dances and stuff. Was and I'm, like... this is slicked back? It was slicked back. It okay. wasn't pushed back. He does not care or respect about the Ten Commandments. He thinks they're silly and dumb and old-fashioned. Yeah. And he openly mocks them in front of his very staunchly religious mother, who's very sort of, like... Has her little glasses and it's very buttoned up and very yeah like pearl clutchy. Kind She's of. just like she carries her Bible around everywhere she goes. Yeah. Uh, she loves she loves God. Yeah, she loves Jesus. She loves them commandments too. She loves the commandments in yeah. particular. Yeah, and uh, and then she Real has raised a son head. who flaunts them. Yeah, he says God is dead. Part three <laughs> with Kevin Sorbo. He says. Uh, he says, the Ten Commandments, I'll break every single one of them, just yeah. for fun. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then he does. Yes. <laughs> but so Danny gets kicked out of the house because he's mocking the Ten Commandments. And then so he goes to uh, a, a, what is it, 
and like a burger like a diner like a diner but it's it's referred to something it's like a it's like a lunch place. a lunch a lunch trailer or something yeah a, a lunch shack i don't know he goes to a diner he, go, um, he goes to a, a 1920s waffle house yeah and then there's a a, a a poor woman named mary who is carrying her dog around in the rain who steals his his uh his sandwich through the window she um, hasn't eaten in a day. Yeah. Um, and then he chases after her because she stole a sandwich. Uh, and he chases her. And while she's running away, she runs into the McTavish family home, the, like, carpenter shop. And they, they kind of take, give her refuge. Yeah. And then it turns out that uh, Danny comes home and yeah. his, uh, the thief is there. Uh, and then they all sit down for a nice, a nice Sunday dinner. Yeah, and and it begins yet another silent movie love triangle. Yeah. You got it. It's it's basically a legal requirement at this point. <laughs> um, and at least I feel like the the real well no the triangle aspect is pretty present throughout, but it's like it it doesn't stay too long in this sort of like what's going to happen. It's like. Right. Mary, Mary and Danny sort of like jealousy. <laughs> yeah, Mary and Danny get together pretty quick, mm-hmm. and and uh, the sort of end of the first part of the movie before the intermission is them running off together to get married and break as many commandments as they can. Yeah, yeah, like um, the, the the mother is initially like initially takes Mary in, Mary mm-hmm. in, Mary in. Yeah, uh, but. She realizes that she's also a heathen. Yeah, because she plays too... because she plays dance music on a Sunday. Yeah, and she almost gets mad and like kicks out her good son, her good religious son, because he's like, "Mom, like, can't they just enjoy some music on Sunday? Yeah. Isn't that it's not so bad?" Let's no, see. he's like always trying to make peace. Yeah, and she can't accept it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, no dance records on Sunday. It kind of goes forward. Yeah, a couple years, uh, three year time jump. Yeah, and, and Danny then, is now a successful, uh, like, real estate mogul. Which he has is like, pro- he was like, I'm going to prove to you that I will succeed by breaking all the commandments. Yeah, I'll become rich, uh, at, it, at, it, in spite of God. Yeah, it says for every building he 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 built, he tore down a piece of his soul, which is <laughs> a little harsh. And so he's he's. His project he's working on is, is this massive church, but he's uh, he's trying to skim some money off the top by uh, using bad concrete, concrete mixed with too much sand and not enough concrete mix. It's it's low quality concrete yeah. mixed at a bad ratio with yeah. like it's like ten parts sand to one part concrete. Yeah. I think it's I think he actually said twelve parts to one. <laughs> um, so he's he's building basically a big old sand castle. Um, and he hires his 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 good brother John to be the carpenter on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, Not a lot of carpentry needs in a church, probably. No, you can build the scaffolding and all that kind of stuff. But it's not like part of the actual church. The church is. I mean, it's weird for a church to be made out of concrete anyway. I True. Think. Yeah, you think stone more than concrete. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah. There's a point where Mary comes up to the top of the church. And then a piece of it crumbles off, and she almost falls falls down. Yeah, and John uh, grabs her because he's also up there. And and so then he realizes, like, what's going on here? This church is built on crumbling concrete. Yeah. 
Also, very quick, before that happens, they, uh, they shipped the, I guess, the concrete mix or some of their construction equipment, or I believe it's supposed to be the concrete mix, uh. gets shipped from... Where is it? Calcutta. Some, Calcutta, or it's like a leper island off of Calcutta. <laughs> uh, Calcutta via a, a leper island. Yeah. And then there's this wild scene of a woman cutting her way out of like a burlap sack <laughs> on the dock and escaping into the night. And I was like, what movie is this now? <laughs> it felt very the cheat, that scene. Yeah. Like, it felt like, like something from like. The vampires. It felt like Irma Vep <laughs> yeah. showed up for one scene. Uh, Irma Vep smuggling herself off of a leper island. She would do that. Yeah. Um, so that's set up for the future. Um, and right, and so when they're up top on the church, mm-hmm. Mary spies Danny uh, getting into the car with this mysterious French-Chinese woman who's been seducing him. Like, instantly. Yeah. She walks in and she's like, oh, a guy? Let yeah. me seduce him. Yeah. Uh, in in a then, very, like, 1910s, 1920s vamp manner of just, like, walking in, she like, vamps it hello! Up. <laughs> <laughs> you just did kind of like a vampire pose. Like a, yeah, pretty much. But yeah. you mean vamp as in vampire, not vamp as in vampire. I mean, they're, they're almost synonymous at this point. Like, there's not that <laughs> big a difference. Nosferatu is not the same as Irma Vep. No, it's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so she, like, puts his cigarette, puts, like, you know, I don't know, takes his cigarette and then smokes some and then puts it back in his mouth. And yeah. It's all a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, she sees, or Mary, from the roof of the uh, church, sees him get in the car with this woman. Yeah. And he's like, and then she's like, well... He's down to one commandment left yeah. to break. He hasn't... <laughs> he hasn't killed anyone yet. <laughs> yeah. He's done all the others, though. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, so they find out about the, the, the concrete is crumbling and is basically just sand. Um, and so John orders all the construction halted and no one's allowed to go into the church anymore. But just at that moment, their mom shows up and wants to go in the church and the guy's was not letting anyone in. It's like, oh, well... He's like, well, I'm I'm the you know the construction owner's mother, so I can go in. And the guy's like, all right, that's fine. And so she goes in and looks up at the Ten Commandments thing that's on the wall of the yeah. church. And just at that moment, uh, a giant crack. Yeah. And then the whole wall falls on top of Mama yeah. McTavish, um, which does not kill her instantly. But so then they you know they rush down, they find her there. And uh, Danny runs in. Ran- Danny comes back. Right, he finds out about it. Yeah, and he's he's definitely pretty torn up about it. He was like, yeah. "I wanted to scam everything and build a crumbling church, but I didn't want it to fall on anybody." Yeah. You know, not especially not my own mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so then she sort of, uh, with her dying breath, she says, "Like, oh, this was my fault because I taught you to fear God and not love Him, and love is." And then she dies. What do you think about that? Um, I, I actually I do think of all the messaging in this movie, that is one that I agree with. Of yeah. like, your faith shouldn't be fear based. I feel like that is a good message to give to people. Um, 
And then uh, the sort of thesis of the movie is stated in one of the intertitles, which is if you don't, if, if you break the Ten Commandments, they will break you. In Soviet Russia, Ten yeah. Commandments <laughs> break you. <laughs> Pretty much. And then I thought that would be the end of the movie. Like, oh, yeah, there it is. Like, yeah. you know, he broke all the commandments and they broke. And his mother died and. Now he is broken. Yeah. But there's still a, this whole plot involving the vamp woman. I forget her name. It turns out be, because of the church collapsing, he gets all this bad press. And it turns out that Danny's kind of broke. Um, anyway, and so he tries to go to this vamp woman to get the pearls that he, he gave her back so mm-hmm. he can sell them or get money back from it somehow. And she's like, oh, ho, ho, I'm actually from a leper colony. <laughs> so you're kind of fucked either way. <laughs> um, which upsets him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he shoots her. Which... Um, in for a penny, in for a pound. Right. At least two, two notable things. One is that as she... When she is shot, she grabs hold of this, like, curtain. Yeah. Um, and pulls the curtain down. Ring, and it tears ring by ring. Right. Which is, I don't know if it's, like, a confirmed thing, but it's, like, almost definitely where Hitchcock got that from for a psycho. Hmm. It's, like, it's the same shot. Of, it like, is. the curtain And it, like, tearing. really focuses in on that aspect yeah. of it. Which um, is good. It's, it's well yeah. done. It's, it's really effective. I um, mean, I, like, for its kind of, like, sillinesses... Uh, and, and, like, I think that there's a lot of really strong stuff in this movie. Yeah. This whole section is the other other part that reminded me of The Cheat a lot. Of it sort of, like, mysterious Asian, like, troublemaker villain stuff. Has kind of a den, you know? uh, Yeah. There's a lot of, like, incense burning and stuff, and, like, statues. when they introduce that woman, they, there's a guy that tells Danny, uh, that like the 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 scent the, of French yeah. perfume and Oriental incense is too strong <laughs> for a man to resist. <laughs> uh, uh, couldn't tell this movie was from the twenties before. <laughs> but anyway, so then with her dying breath, she says maybe the hardest thing you can say to someone who has just murdered you, which is, <laughs> "I'll tell the devil uh, you're you'll be." Oh, like, what is it? Like basically, like I'll tell the devil that he'll be seeing you soon. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, Which is yeah. There are there are some really good lines in this movie. Yeah. There there are some good lines that Danny has. Some like real like kind of kick ass like I shun God lines. Yeah. And like I I think I'm cool. You know. Uh, Danny also refers to himself as Papa a lot, which is very funny. <laughs> um, he's like Papa needs to get down and start praying I think is one he says sort of like sarcastically at one point um so then Danny is now on the hook for murder also in addition yeah. to the accidental death that he just caused mm-hmm. um and so then he like thinks he has leprosy and so he runs back to uh to Mary his wife and she's like he's like I have leprosy she's like don't touch me <laughs> but then the police show up and she hides him anyway and the police are like, hey, if you see him, he's wanted for murder. Just FYI. They don't find him, and Danny escapes out the window. He escapes out the window, hops on a speedboat. As you do. And Called then, the speedboat named The Defiance. Very subtle. <laughs> and then Mary is very distraught and sort of like stumbles through the rain once again. Vaguely aiming to kill herself. Yeah. I think. 
but she she goes back to the John's carpentry shop mm-hmm. uh, where they first met, um, and he kind of consoles her and kind of convinces her that life is worth living. Um, and then the the sun rises and she looks at her hands and she doesn't think that she has leprosy anymore. And he says, "The light reveals all." Yeah, the light. or it's like, it's, it's like it's it <laughs> like the light made it all better. Or yeah. I forgot. I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along those lines. And also, Danny uh, crashes his speedboat into a cliff. <laughs> 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 that too. And then he saw the devil. Uh, did he? I mean, not not in the movie, but it, that's what happened. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's in your imagination. That was like ah. I, I was just talking to someone, and they said you were you were on your way. You know, uh, you know, you you lie to get into hell here. You have to lie. Wait, no, that's not one of the commandments. Lying. I don't. Uh, it's not. I don't think so. Weird. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we're very tired. If you couldn't tell. No, it's it's more that I just don't don't know the Bible. Oh, okay. So I'm going to be seeing the devil next. Yeah. One one thing that was in this movie and the. Not the Pilgrim. And A Woman in Paris, mm-hmm. which I did not know was a thing, uh, is that people wore these, like, dark armbands oh, right, to signify they're... that they were they were in mourning. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, you know, in the 1920s, didn't really have the connotation that it would now Yeah, after the 30s. Yeah, you gotta be careful with armbands. Yeah, armbands, not really a, a, a big fashion accessory. <laughs> not really in use for most things. I didn't know about that, though. I did. Like, I, I, I recognized what it was, but mm-hmm. it still was just like, mm, you know, it is, <laughs> right. is a, it's a weird sight, either way. Yeah, do you have anything else on Ten Commandments? Um, I didn't love it. It, it felt very, yeah, preachy to me, in general. It, it, it is, like you said, it's very finger-waggy. Wi- finger yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. Follow those commandments. Yeah. Even I, though one of the early scenes is, right, a starving woman stealing food to feed herself. And it's like... Don't steal. And it's like, I don't know. I'm kind of like, I if, if you, you know, starving, I, I think it's morally okay to steal to feed yourself. Yeah. I'm a real Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean. Is that yeah. his name? Yeah. Yeah, anyway. It's a little reduplicative. Yeah. So even that, I, I feel like this movie is very blunt and yet also at times kind of muddled in its, like, moral messaging. Yeah, which kind of just helped me ignore it and enjoy the spectacle. Right, yeah. So I had fun. Yeah. Um, it is, it is because of its sort of, like, grandiosity, mm-hmm. I think it ends up being very entertaining for that reason. Yeah. Not only in, like, for all the intentional ways of, like, the big sets and the set pieces and like the church caving in and like the parting of the red sea all that stuff but then yeah. also in just like yeah it's just a it's just a silly movie yeah <laughs> it's pulpy it's uh yeah it's it's a little trashy right yeah there's kind of cecil b demille has that kind of like lurid undercurrent through yeah. a lot of his stuff so which is an interesting juxtaposition with hand with like finger right. wagging morality right. yeah exactly <laughs> he wants to have his cake yeah. And also eat it. Yeah, because why have a cake if you can't eat it? It'll just go bad. Uh, do you have any thoughts on 
the festival as a whole. Yeah, a lot, a lot more film projection than I thought, which yeah. was a nice surprise. It was um, awesome. It was a good mix of different types of movies, I thought. Like, it... it yeah. They showed the, the top three box office movies in America for 1923. Which were Ten Commandments, and then... Uh, then Safety Last. I no, think. then Covered Wagon. Oh, okay. And then Safety... No, I think you're right. And then Safety Last. Yeah. And then number four is I have to Back Another big set movie. Yeah. It was it was really great. I mean, I think we've talked about this a little bit earlier, but it was really great just getting to see every single movie with live score. Yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, it, like, hearing... Honestly, I'm, I haven't heard a lot of organ music before, and it's interesting yeah. to hear all of the different sounds that an organ can right. make. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it, it really runs the gamut of, yeah, just, like, sonic sounds. Yeah. Of, like, what types of, of um, I don't know, types of sounds, whatever. Yeah. You said it better. Uh, <laughs> the sonic game. But then another cool thing was, in addition to, like, the scoring for, like, the headliners, they would have uh, another person doing sort of, like, sound effects slash sort of, like, backup like percussion stuff. Yeah. So like percussion as part of the score and also like uh, selective sound effects for different things. One of the things that we learned during the uh, kind of uh, lecture that opened this festival, talking mm-hmm. about like the movie going experience in the silent era, yeah. or one of the things that I learned at least, I knew that, um, you know, sometimes silent movies would be played with orchestras. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. it would be uh, just a little piano uh, in a small town, something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it kind of like ranged mm-hmm. all the way in between. Sometimes it would have like a like a quartet or something like that. But uh, they were talking about how these like really big theaters, these movie palaces in big cities, would have many or all of their shows with entire orchestras. Yeah. Uh, or they would have some shows that they like charged extra for, which were their deluxe shows. So their deluxe mm-hmm. shows had a whole orchestra. And then they had, like, regular shows that might just have an organist or a mm-hmm. pianist. And it was... It, I was realizing when I was thinking about it, when I saw that, that it was, like, the RPX of its day, you know? Yeah. It was, like, the, the good premium point. large format yeah. that, like, you see the silent movie with the orchestra instead of right. just the yeah. organist. Yeah. Uh, it made me really want to see a silent movie with an entire orchestra. Yeah. Like, that would be so cool. I believe the only movie I've seen with an entire orchestra isn't a silent movie is Jurassic Park. Because I saw that at the uh, the Philharmonic uh, last I, year. I got to see uh, the first two Lord of the Ringses uh, with an orchestra, uh, which yeah. was which was great. Uh, and earlier, or I guess last year, I saw a bunch of live score Looney Tunes with an orchestra, Ooh, which was cool. really really fun. Yeah, felt felt appropriate for Looney Tunes. Yeah, but yeah, I've never seen a silent film with a, with an orchestra. It it's gonna it would be hard to pull enough people to justify Probably. an orchestra these yeah. days, but I feel like it's gotta happen. Yeah. Uh, maybe some, maybe some big ticket, like Metropolis or something they might yeah. be able to, to pull it off. We haven't gotten to 1927 yet, so I don't know what Metropolis is. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, oh, another thing about Ten Commandments is we, we watched a documentary about the, the set. Yeah. Uh, this morning. It's actually the mo- first movie we watched this morning. Mm-hmm. Documentary um, from 2016. Yeah, about the 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 set which Cecil B. DeMille 
built and then immediately buried so that no one else could use it for like a knockoff movie after they had left it. Yeah. And the documentary is mainly about the, uh, what, like 20 to 30 years of attempts to like organize an archaeological dig to actually dig up the set and like reconstruct some of the statues and things built for it. Yeah. Um, but uh, Northern California permit laws are awful and <laughs> they kept, uh, you know, dragging them down. Yeah, that's the long and short of it is that they kept trying to do this and stuff kept getting in the way yeah. for 30 years. Right. But, but I mean, the same thing kept getting in the way, which was a single, like, permit office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is really, yeah, really disheartening. It just makes me think, when I was watching that movie, it made me think, well, why don't people just let other people do stuff? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, there's no harm in going right. to dig, dig yeah, that stuff it, up. It was, it was if you want to uh, dedicate it, your it life to absolutely a, <laughs> a case, a very transparent case of just like, no, give us money. Right. Like, we have the power to force you to give us money, and we're going to take that, even if we don't really have a real case for it. <sighs> someday, um, someday yeah. we'll all live in a better society where everybody can just do cool stuff and no one will stop them from doing it for no reason. Yeah. Another thought about Ten Commandments Yeah, is I thought it was kind of interesting that this movie is all about, like, the Ten Commandments, like, the, the rules that you do not break. Like, it, the opening title card says, they are not laws, they are the law. Yeah. And I just think it's interesting that this movie was made right around the same time that, like, the idea of film censorship was, like, starting to begin... Mm-hmm. Like, the Hayes Code doesn't really go into effect until, I think, 34. It, um, like, it like punches up. It, right, like, like, it existed, like, I goes think, into higher gear in, like, 30-something like that, but it was... Well, it started existing now. In, right. In, like, 22 yeah. or so. Yeah. Uh, I think 22 is maybe, like, when they decided to, like, put together, like, start organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were other sort of, like, self-imposed sort of film rules that different studios had. Yeah. Um, and, I don't know, I just think it's interesting that this movie was made right around the time that all these studios are sort of like, what are our rules that we have to, like, abide by so that people will stop, like, protesting our movies for being immoral? Yeah. I mean, especially, yeah, in the wake of all of the scandals in Hollywood yeah. these days. Yeah. Uh and so I guess what you're saying is that it seems like a biblical epic, all about how it's good to be good. Yeah, uh, and it's good seems, to and it's good to follow rules. Yeah, yeah. Uh, feels like it, it's in response to all of that. I guess. Yes. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Favorite movie of the fest? A Saving Last. I know I, I just said this, so there's there's definitely some recency bias. I said this literally the last episode, but I think Saving Last might be my favorite thing that I've seen for this entire show. I don't know. It's I loved Safety Last. Safety Last was really, really good. Uh, I, I, let's see. I liked Woman in Paris, A Woman yeah. of, of Paris, a lot more than I thought I would. Same. I, I thought it was quite a good movie. Uh, and I don't think that Safety Last is perfect. I think it drags a little bit in the middle. But, uh, Safety Last yeah. is... Amazing. You, you, you can't do <laughs> Safety Last is so good. The 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 tension. It's yeah. not just funny, it's like tense. Yeah. 
Uh, and the fact that it's so <laughs> tense makes it funnier. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Harold Lloyd. Yeah. Doing good work. Good at his job. Uh, well, that's it for the festival. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I'm glad we did it. I don't know if we're going to do a video about this or not, or if we're just going to do it for fun, but uh, tomorrow we're going to be going to mm. the, is it called the Palace Theater? Yeah. That is incorrect. It is actually the Plaza Theater. Uh, the Palace Theater in Ottawa, Kansas, which is the oldest movie theater that uh, was built to be a movie theater and is still operating. Yeah. Uh, which is going to be really cool. Yeah. They've got a lot of, uh, I guess they've got a bunch of film history memorabilia mm -hmm. in the in the lobby. We could be watching Ant-Man or Magic Mike, but I think we're not going to. Yeah. Uh, seems like a bit of a waste of time. And now that I think about it, uh, they are pretty close to when your flight is. Yeah. yeah. Also, fun fact, Ottawa, Kansas is where my dad went to college. Now everybody can dox you. Yeah. I guess they know your name. True. I'm very easy to dox. Please don't dox me. I feel like now's a good time to sign off. I think so. That'll be it. Uh, please follow us on YouTube, Instagram, podcasts, just all the, all the Twitter, yeah. wherever you can get new stuff. If you're not you know, aware, we are bi-weekly now. Right. Uh, ignore the fact that we're called One Week, One Year. Despite, the, despite I, one week being in the name... It is a bi-weekly show now. It really, it really cursed me, and yeah, it, it the, the the title of this show yeah. has given me so much guilt. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, it made a lot of sense when we started. Yeah, so. uh, it made a lot of sense when we were watching thirty-second movies. That too. Yeah, uh, but it's a uh, it's a little more sustainable this yeah. way. Uh, please tune in every other Wednesday. That'll be about it. Thanks for listening, and Glenn, uh, I won't see you in person. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. This was fun. It's this fun. was good. Yeah. Uh, but over the internet, I will see you next year. It's gone, it's gone.